Hey everyone, welcome to the MJL. Welcome to the sixth episode. I'm your host, Mike Lee, and I interview my everyday friends uh, featuring who basically have non-conventional talents, experiences, and hobbies. Today, I have Conrad Cheeks, who is a rising TikTok creator, marketing wizard, up-and-coming actor, and a man with exquisite taste in music. Conrad, welcome to the pod. Uh, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate that. I like how you said marketing wizard. I'm like, I might have to put that on my LinkedIn. I mean, you might have to. I mean, we are in the, the content business, and so you got to you gotta throw in a couple buzzwords here and there. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So uh, for the audience here, we know each other because we used to work together at a company called Glue Mobile. Uh, it's a mobile gaming company, which was recently acquired by Electronic Arts. We are no longer at those companies. Um, and today I'm interviewing uh, Conrad about his experiences uh, with acting and kind of where he's kind of gotten his start uh, and where he really learned to, to love acting, fall in love with acting. So with that said, you know, I want to know, you know, was acting something that you, know, you always wanted to pursue uh, in your childhood? Um, is it something that, you know, how, like, how did you feel about it? Like, was it something that you always wanted to pursue? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I mean, if I'm being honest, it wasn't something I always wanted to pursue as a, as like throughout my childhood. Um, I had stints with it, so to speak, right? Like a school play here and there. And the first time anything notable <laughs> ever happened between me and acting was when I was in middle school and I was playing, we were doing a Shakespeare play Merchant of Venice, and I was playing the jester. And somehow I ended up on the Washington Post or the kids' Washington Post in okay. DC. You can look it up. I, I don't know if it's like still easy to find, but um, yeah, my, my picture is like front stage and center. It's me and this other uh, one of my classmates at the time just acting. And I barely remember the memory of doing that play, if I'm being honest. So it, it wasn't until I would say college, where I was like, oh, this this could be something cool. I, li I like playing, right? Like that's what a lot of people refer to it, um, who are in the acting industry saying like, hey, let's let's just like play and have fun. I like that aspect of it. And then just uh, telling stories, right? So I think that's kind of what we do as marketers. We tell stories about a product or a service and we're trying to get somebody to engage with that content or buy into this brand. Uh, through whatever piece of content you're putting out there. So it has a lot of similarities with acting in that way, where you're just, you're part of a story and you're there to help tell it. I think that makes sense. Uh, is this something that, cause I know you mentioned high school and college, like, was it just something yeah. that you just wanted to try on a whim, right? Like, oh, this just seems fun. Like, is it part of like, you know, your, your personality to, is like, sorry, is it a way that you wanted to kind of express different parts of your personality, like as a, as a mm. platform? Yeah. So I would say, hmm, that's a, I would say yes. Yes. And the first time I did it was in college, uh, for, a, it was like an entrepreneurship for, sorry, improper entrepreneurship class. And I saw it, I was like, all right, I'll take this. This probably would be some easy credits <laughs> that I can get to, to go towards my degree. Um, and then I ended up really having a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, I can express myself through this. And it just became something that I look forward to. I think it was about like a two to three times a, uh, per week for that class. So it was just something that I was like, oh man, I can't wait to go get back and do that again. Um, 
And to kind of backtrack and get some context, there was always some sort of performance aspect to my life from like high school, I would say up and in, in, up into um, up until that point in college, where at first it was, oh, <laughs> I'm going to try to write raps and stuff like that. Then that turned into poetry because I don't think I was that good at rapping, but um, <laughs> but it turned into poetry uh, and spoken word. Then I tried a little bit of that, uh, performed a bunch around campus just because it was fun just to be on a stage and connect with people. And then that turned into public speaking uh, through the Toastmasters Club. And then eventually in my senior year, I was like, all right, I, I need a couple more credits. Let me take this improv for entrepreneurs class. So it was it was always there, I guess you could say, that the need to express myself, the medium just changed throughout my life. So I was like, cool, I found improv and or acting in a sense my senior year, kept that going and then eventually found my way into marketing where I'm still storytelling, right? That's just part of my job. So yeah. Got it. So you mentioned all these different mediums from like rap to uh, public speaking, like what did you kind of take away from each of those mediums, right? Like you, you said you tried doing rap, uh, writing rap lyrics when you were in high school <laughs> and then going into poetry, which which obviously have similarity. Like that's not you yeah. know, out of the realm of, you know, the next step of writing. So I'm just curious what you got out of each of those kinds of experiences, uh, given that they all feature a different kind of medium. Yeah, I would say probably the biggest thing that I've gotten from each of those experiences and something that I just recognize across all different mediums of art or expression is confidence, right? And that's just being confident, not only with who you are, but with whatever you're doing. I, I noticed that when I would see other spoken word artists versus an artist, a spoken word artist who, you know, maybe wasn't as confident and you didn't feel that connection quite as strong with them when they perform versus somebody else. And I was like, oh, what's the big difference? Well, clearly that person has prepared and they're super confident and they're, they're just exuding that and showcasing whatever it is, you know, whatever the perspective is in their art to you. And it's up to you whether you like it or not, right? Like that's, you know, that's not their job. Their job is just to express themselves. So seeing that no matter what medium of connecting with the audience and telling a story, confidence play like a key part in all of those got it you also talked about preparation so i kind of want to yeah. ask like how did the preparation i guess watching other people prepare feed into the confidence aspect of it yeah so i think preparation is an interesting thing when it comes to art because a lot of people don't let you in to their process you kind of have to watch the end result and then either, you know, be bold enough to go up and ask that person, right? <laughs> like, how did you do that? Or what do you do to prepare? Or you just have to find other online resources. But when it comes to preparation, I, and I'll talk about acting specifically, I like to get to the point where I can think the thoughts of the character. Like, I'm no longer thinking comrade's thoughts. You know, I'm using the third person not to be a not to sound cocky, but just, just for the, for the purpose of right, it. Right, right. But um, I want to think the thoughts of that character and not myself. Because if I'm thinking about myself, then I'm out of the scene. I'm not serving the story anymore, right? If I'm thinking about how I look on camera, it's done. I'm not in the scene. So if I can think about, oh, how would this person react to what this other character is saying? Like, 
is this something that makes them upset? Is this something that makes them happy when they hear about it? Then that just forces me to join into the journey of being that person and just living their life as they would. So I think the preparation gets to the point where like you get down your lines, that's first and foremost. You get into who this person is, um, why they are the way they are. <clears throat> you kind of have to be an, a, a, an investigator, right? Really at that point, you're, you're literally trying to figure out everything about this person, whether you have to create it or it's already in the text. And then I'll say the next stage of it is, once you have that down and you know who they are, what are some, what are some things they might think about on a regular basis? What dominates their mind space? What dominates um, their world, right? Like what, what do they want the most out of anything in the world? What, are, what is the thing they're the most afraid of? And that will just organically flow into how you perform. And then you'll just be that person. And then that's when you see, you know, as an audience member, you're like, oh, that, that's good acting. Or you might say, wow, that, that was a really good movie or TV show, whatever it may be. Would you say that that is like a form of method acting? Uh, I know that's kind of like a big hot topic, mm -hmm. uh, like buzzword in terms of like acting to the extremes, right? Uh, and maybe it's, you know, a specific level of method acting, but I'm not an actor, so I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm using it correctly, but, you know, please help me clarify, you know, if that's like a form of method acting to a certain degree. Yeah, I'm sure it has aspects of it, right? Like method acting is, you know, you really taking in everything and, and potentially going to extremes, right? Like we hear about people who go work the job of the character that, you know, that they're playing, right? They're playing a the police officer. They may shadow and, and really take it to that next level and just continue to live as that character so that you don't lose it once you get in front of a camera. So maybe it does share some elements of it. I, I don't know if I really lean on one specific uh, school of thought or technique. I just try to take bits and pieces of what works for me, what I feel like I noticed work really well when I'm you know, on a set, right? And I said, oh, I did that one thing. Maybe I should bring this into my preparation uh, process and just keep doing that and see if it continues to get better and better over time. So I feel like I kind of take bits and pieces and just making it to my own thing. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Kind of rolling it back a little bit. When you told your parents like, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, being whatever, a TikTok star or an actor, <laughs> like, how did how did they react to it? Uh, just because, you know, acting is is obviously an artful profession and you know parents may think about you know the world of acting and you know the career of an actor in various different ways so just curious like what your parents thought when you said like i'm trying to aspire to be you know an actor yeah i feel like luckily they were cool with it right i feel like i'm at the point where i've got i've got my nine to five i'm doing that that pays the bills so to speak right like i'm good on that and so it's more of like oh okay like have at it, you know, like do, do what you want to do since you have this extra time. So I would say pretty supportive for the most part. Okay. And, uh, and I feel like <laughs> my mom always loves to see, uh, my TikToks and my skits. So whenever I send it to her, so I just like send it straight to her. So, Hey, check this out. <laughs> and then she, does your, does your mom like super give, excited about it? Does your mom give you any feedback on, you know, the skits that you send? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Which is, uh, I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, I feel like she's just genuinely supportive. I feel like most moms think their right. child is amazing. 
<laughs> and she, I feel like she's definitely within that camp for sure. She's probably your biggest fan. It's probably just because you haven't done anything about moms yet. How moms would be reacting, right, to <laughs> you know their sons doing you know impressions or whatever, right? That's when it kind of gets yeah. into, you know, like there's definitely going to be some feedback at you know yeah, family yeah. parties and stuff <laughs> like that. One hundred percent, I could definitely imagine. I mean, I've definitely had um family who <laughs> who have seen. Like my skits and like wow like you remind me of such and such in our family right so i think uh i think that's always fun right like you're as as i feel like as an actor i mean talking about acting broadly and skits and sketches you're just drawing and pulling from so many different places of your life right people that you've seen on the streets that you have no connection to um and then also like family members that just had like a weird quirk or anything like that and it just comes out uh, so i think that's the fun part Got it. Do you, any of your family members that have seen your, your skits, do they say like, Hey, I know like where you kind of drew that inspiration from, or like, you're definitely pulling it from like this family member, uh, just asking out of curiosity if like parts of your life, uh, that your family recognizes has, have been pulled into your, to your skits. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it mostly like, Oh, you, you reminded me of such and such, right. In the family. So it's mainly just that, but, um, yeah, I would say there are definitely people, not that I model certain characters off, but like it just may come out, right? Like I, I, can't, I can't necessarily control it. If I'm thinking about the character and I'm just like, all right, cool, I'm gonna do this. And then like, it may just come out in a certain phrase or like a, uh, a mannerism, anything like that. Got it. I think that makes sense. Uh, kind of yeah. wanna ask a little bit more about kind of acting as a profession uh yeah. in the black community and like you know what does that mean like like to say for example say you wanted to be an actor you know out of the gate right like that's going to be my main profession you know outside of your not nine to outside outside of your nine to five day job let's just say your current day job wasn't a thing like you know is it something where there's like a large community of actors in the black community where it's just like you can draw inspiration from like is it a supportive community, right, as well. Like, talk to me about kind of the diversity that of acting that's kind of in place. Yes, I feel as if, like, if, I mean, I'll speak from my own experience and then maybe talk a little bit on that. But, yeah, I guess if I just came out of the gate and was like, hey, I'm going to do this, like, straight out of college or straight out of high school, there may have been a lot of questions, right? Like, how are you going to are you going to feed yourself, <laughs> right? Like, like, how are you going to make money? Because I feel as if a lot of people know that acting, although it can be very rewarding, it is not necessarily a career that always pans out into like, oh, you're making a really good living or, or you're making, you know, six figures plus, right? Whatever that means to you. So I think everybody has that in the back of their head when they not only hear about their child or, you know, say a younger family member, um, that wants to pursue acting, but also any other endeavor within the entertainment industry, right? Like everybody has these certain notions of, oh, like we don't want you to get taken advantage of because they've heard so many stories where, you know, artists are uh, getting pushed out of certain deals, not able to make enough money, right? They may have a hot record, but they're broke. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of that stigma that goes around and maybe for a good reason, because it happens so often. Right. So I think a lot of people, um, and not only just in the black community, but in most, I would say most people's parents would probably be like, mm, 
you sure about that? Like, how, how are you going to make ends meet? Like, like kind of bring, bring the person back down to earth a little bit. So I think generally speaking, though, it is there is a good community out there, you know, uh, within the black community who is supportive. Right. Like, you'll, you know, I meet black actors all the time um, in the Bay Area. When I do, it's always good, positive vibes. Everybody's like sharing tips and secrets or whatever it may be to like help further each other's careers and like pulling together those resources and saying like, hey, we need to make sure we're supporting each other as well. So I think there's a lot of just good people out here who just want to see everybody win within their community and even outside of their community as well. So I think people are pretty supportive overall, but definitely there's, um, it, it just acting has that stigma and like everything in the entertainment industry has that stigma of like, you don't really make it until you make it in people's eyes. Right. So it's hard for them to see how are you going to sustain <laughs> like your, you know, expenses and bills and whatnot. If you are, if you aren't already at that point. Yeah. I just, I would just imagine that there are only so many people that actually make it to that point. It's kind of like going to, the, yeah. it's like playing a professional sport, right? Like there's only so many people that make it to a professional sports and a sports level. And they're the ones who get paid the big bucks, right? The and most. If you're like, <laughs> they, they make most of the money. They make the most of the money, right? <laughs> and, and I would imagine that's what kind of people sort of aspire to, like, especially as an aspiring actor. Like, you're looking up to people who are making, you know, a ton of money. And obviously, it's their living. And they should get paid, you know, that right. amount of money. Uh, and I'm just thinking also from, like, even the Asian community, pretty much, you know, most parents are just like, you got to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a dentist, yeah. or some you know, profession that makes a ton of money, more stable. And I think also more in recent times as a Asian American, we haven't really had a lot of role models per se to, to look up to. So it's only in my generation or our generation that like, it's the YouTube generation of Asian yep. American actors, right. That kind of started more grassroots, right. To really bring it to fame, you know, thinking about like, crazy rich Asians and stuff like that, like that sort of helps validate it, you know, a little bit more. Uh, so I definitely think in the future for Asian Americans, like, you know, with I had kids or you have kids, like, or I guess if I have kids, like they'll be, it's a more, it's a less stigmatized profession. I think with the proliferation also of like TikTok and uh, other social media platforms. Oh, definitely. And, and, I, and I think that's a beautiful thing, right? Because if people can feel free to pursue what, you know, the way they want to express themselves and not have this fear or have this stigma associated with it, that hopefully should help them artistically, right? So I think that's another good thing for just the world in general. Um, and then another thing you brought up that kind of jogged a thought for me was that you mentioned that there's a certain group of people in the industry, in the acting industry, or really any entertainment industry that are at the top, right? Um, who are making a ton of money. And one of the things that I really didn't understand until recently um, is that one of the biggest differences is that they've just been doing this for much longer, <laughs> right? They've been doing it for a whole lot longer. I mean, go look at the, you probably go look at the average age of most of the leading stars, uh, actors in, uh, in movies, and you'll see that they're, they're older, right? You're like, oh, he's between 40 and 50 years old. And, and I think it came to a shock to me because although I know it takes a lot of work 
to do this in your head because of all this instant gratification that we have and it's so accessible to us, you, you just think it takes a little bit less time, right? Even though it's just like, that's not the truth. There's a lot of failures that goes into um, anything that's worth doing. And it just sometimes takes a lot of time, right? Like that's just the reality of it. Um, and just knowing that is comforting, right? So it's, it's you kind of sit there and that, okay, I've got time, you know, I can, I can get better, right? Like this, this project that I'm working on, it may be okay, it may be good, but the next one's gonna be better than okay and good. And I'll just keep leveling up with each project. And eventually you see where it takes you, right? Like maybe it takes you to the top, maybe it doesn't. But as long as you're just doing it just to express yourself, then who knows? Right. I think it's probably a mixture of luck and opportunity, right? Let's, so let's yeah. say, for example, if you're one of the the kids on Stranger Things, right? Like, you know, they've probably been doing, you know, acting for a short period of time. Maybe they do, they had more experience or I guess like higher level acting uh, before getting yeah. those gigs, whether it's in stage or, you know, having small cameos or roles in other shows. But I would also just imagine like kind of once you get to that level, then when you get to work with other actors that have been doing it, like you said, for, you know, multiple years, like your knowledge ideally should compound and your experiences should like oh, yeah. exponentially compound. Like, I think I was uh, reading something about, I think one of the characters on, uh, what is it? Dr. Strange, Multiverse of Madness. I think it was the person that was playing America Chavez. Uh, I forgot what the actor's mm -hmm. name is, but you know that uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick Stewart played, you know, a small cameo right in the movie. And she, and I think she was saying how Patrick Stewart was coaching her, right. Or just like giving her tips, right. Oh, wow. Like, you know, you know, from one elder actor and experienced actor to another. So those are things that like, obviously most people can't really get that particular kind of experience unless you're on set. So I think that's where the, the sort of luck meets opportunity kind of comes in when you, you get the chance to work with you know, really experienced actors. And I think also like when you're watching shows or TV or say movies that have a, a super experienced cast, right? Ideally, you know, everyone's playing off of each other's kind of experience. Like it should produce right. something that's like, you know, an amazing acting kind of experience. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, hopefully it does. And then to, to build on top of that, even if it doesn't, just being okay with it, right? Because at the end of the day, you can do all the preparation in the world, but you can't really control the end outcome, right? You're going to get there to set, you're going to be with other actors, there's a camera person, you know, everybody's there, the whole crew's there, and like things just kind of happen. You have to, you have to let go in a weird way. Like you don't have much control, <laughs> like you have control over your preparation, but even once you get on set, you just gotta just gotta be ready <laughs> just gotta do it and let go i feel like the only thing you can't control is what you can't control uh, what you can't control is your preparation like you know yeah. preparing your lines preparing your delivery like the things that you can study about the character and then you know all the other stuff like i think that comes with i would imagine that comes with experience like actually being on a set right like having uh i don't know having been on, maybe it's being on a bigger set. Maybe it's being, yeah. it's acting with a star, right? Or someone that you look yeah, up exactly. to. Like, that, that. like you, can't, <laughs> yep. you can't really control that, right? But, you know, 
I feel like once you actually experience it, you can take steps to be like, to reassess and analyze, like, why did I feel this way? You can accept those feelings, but I think you can always improve upon it. Like once you actually know what that feeling's like, like you were saying. Yeah, and, and a perfect example of this as it relates to me, and I, I would say my acting journey is that I learned after doing one project that I needed to find uh, let's call it like in a lone space, right? Where I don't have any distractions. I'll put on like my AirPods and just listen to music or listen to something that just keeps me in the thoughts and with that character. And the reason why I learned that is because I noticed that on, on uh, when I was doing this one project, I was talking to people after we would finish that specific scene. And I was like, oh, I'm losing energy. I'm losing steam a lot faster by like switching, right? From the character to me, to then like engage in a conversation about whatever it was. And that wasn't fruitful for what I needed to give to the film. So it was something that I try to just keep taking with me where it's like, okay, great. When I get to set, just let the director know like, hey, <laughs> when, when we're like about to film, go ahead and grab me, I'm gonna be over here in my car, I'm going to be over there in a quiet corner, just chilling, meditating. So I think that's like, even those small things like that, which don't seem like a big deal, um, makes a difference for me personally. And, and everybody's different. Some people can just talk, 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 hang out with the crew, hang out with the other actors and then jump right back in. But for me, I know I have to like lock in. Like I, I have to stay in that zone. So essentially you created your own trailer by just chilling in the car. I guess you could say that. <laughs> I mean, they both got four yeah. wheels. On, well, ideally, both have four wheels. That's and true. You're That's in your true. own isolated space, right? And I'm sure you have all the things yeah. that you need to prepare, which is, I would assume, that's what a trailer is for. Yeah, I mean, and and hopefully one day, when I when I get my own trailer, there'll, there'll be some. Uh, I don't know, I'll have a little bit more space in it, <laughs> just besides being in my car. <laughs> got it. Uh, kind of want to roll it back a little bit. I know that you are a big uh, Dungeons and Dragons fan. And yep. tell me a little bit about where you kind of fell in love with Dungeons and Dragons. And obviously Dungeons and Dragons has a lot of storytelling. So how yep. did that, uh, or does any of that affect uh, or influence, you know, your, your acting abilities or how you approach acting? Yeah, I got introduced to Dungeons and Dragons pretty late in life, I guess you could say. Um, I think I started playing with a group of friends, man, was it like 2017? No, actually, no, it was like 20, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2016. And at first I was very skeptical. I was like, all right, look here. <laughs> I don't know about this whole Dungeons and Dragons thing. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm just not sure if this is something for me. And they're like, no, nah, just play it. Just like, just, we're just going to try it once. I think you would like it because, um, we were all like playing civilization by Sid Meier's together. And, you know, we got to know each other. They're like, no, 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 you would, you would like this. Trust me. So I trusted them and, uh, yeah, never looked back. <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun to, similar to acting, like to dive into the character, create this whole world with a bunch of people and you're pretty much doing improv for hours right like and that helps you out as an actor because you generally know 
who your character is and you generally understand the rules of that world that you all created together, now you just have to play, right? Have some fun, roll the dice, um, you know, maybe you're in a, in a battle, maybe you're not, maybe you're trying to, <laughs> I don't know, like get the favor of a princess or whatever it is. And like, you're just using the dice as a way to, to make decisions and, and, and make choices together as a group. So I think it's very, yeah, it has a lot of similarities to like just acting on a, on like a, a normal project, right? Like you're working with all these other actors trying to tell a story um, and you're all making decisions that may conflict or maybe help each other out. And it's all part of the process. So I would say with D&D, it, it means it's just a lot of fun. It's a way to just have fun, but then I see how it also helps me out as an actor as well, just to be more comfortable with improv and just be able to do it, right? Like without even um, thinking too hard about it. Would you say that there is a difference between kind of being one of the part well, being one of the participants versus being, let's say, the dungeon master? Because they obviously have very different roles in terms of yeah. someone who has to set the world, and then everyone is sort of participating in their sort of world and rules, and you know, create obviously contributing and creating new rules uh, relative to the, what the dungeon master has sort of set out. And is that something that you've played before as the dungeon master role? Yeah, I, I played Dungeon Master on a one shot. Um, shot I think we might have we one shot that turned into a two session campaign. We didn't really finish it, but um, it's definitely different <laughs> for sure because in your head you have things that you think will happen, and you're just kind of you're just kind of creating a lot of different scenarios of like, oh, okay, if this happens, then I'll bring them here. Then if that happens, then I'll bring them there. And then you're just trying to create the world and tell an interesting story that they can have fun in, right? Like all, all the people who are, who are playing the game. Um, but it's definitely, it, it's definitely funny because you may have plans and then they just don't happen the way you think they will. And you just have to, you kind of have to improv <laughs> a little bit, just like right. the characters. Uh, and say, okay, all right, I'm going to make this up. I'm going to bring a monster out of nowhere because the one you all just beat was clearly too easy. <laughs> like, you know, you have to do things like that. Um, and I guess the biggest thing is to expect the unexpected, right? And you can see that the dungeon master might be more similar to, um, you know, in the acting field, like a director or a producer, it kind of mixed in one, right? They're creating the world, they're creating the look, the feel of it. And they're just there to usher, help you usher along the story, right? And support everybody who's playing. So I would say that's probably the biggest similarity. And I've done it once uh, or twice. And um, yeah, every single time something happened that I wasn't prepared for. And I just had to make some stuff up. <laughs> I mean, I guess I think that makes sense. I can see the parallels between directing and being the dungeon master uh, just because you're you're organizing everything or you're setting the stage. You're allowing the yeah. the players right to obviously succeed, have fun, but it's also you're trying to also create coherent rules as well, right? Because you don't want, you can throw stuff out of the middle of nowhere, but you can't do that too often, right? Otherwise, you know, it, it doesn't bode for a great sort of, I guess, playing experience if you're not for the non-Dungeon Master players. Yeah, you just gotta be as consistent as you can, right? Like, and, and try to keep the storylines the way that you intended them to be, right? But still have like flexibility within it. So I think that's what I've tried to do 
when I have been DM. Makes sense. Uh, I kind of want to move our conversation to more of like the philosophical side of acting. And I'm curious, and I want to get your take on this is like, like at the most fundamental level, like what do you think acting is? I would say at the most fundamental level, acting is living through the experience of another person or character. That That's what I think it is. And, and the reason why I believe that right now, at least for right now, um, is because when I can see that the person who's acting in a movie, TV show, even myself, when they're just experiencing it, they're just living. They have the thoughts in the head of the character. They're they're not te- they're not um, telegraphing or foreshadowing what's going to happen next because they're over prepared. It's just really enjoyable to watch and even do yourself because you're almost you're you're you get a moment to kind of just like not have control over what's going and what's going on and just experience it and just let it be. So I think that's what acting is at its core, just living the experience of another human being. I think that makes sense. I can see how acting at its most fundamental level really is about a platform also for expression, right? Allowing a story to also be told uh, from someone else's different point of view. And it's also, I think, relative to the audience uh, in the times, the cultural times as well, uh, really also helping to paint that, like, what are the constraints that someone had to live through? You know, what are the decisions that they had to make given, you know, X, Y, Z amount of constraints. So I think it's also the environment and how they deal with that, uh, as well. Yeah. And it allows people, you know, anybody who's viewing to build up empathy, right? Hopefully, right. You know, if that's what the story's goal is. Um, to see somebody else's perspective and what they went through in life. And then, oh, this is how they got to this point, And this is why they are who they are. Okay, maybe, maybe you have a better understanding. You, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. But you can feel for that person. Um, so I think that's a super important part of it as well, just from a, a storytelling uh, process, right? Like you want to be able to let the story unfold you want to draw people in and buy into this world that you're creating, whether it's like fictional or real. I think also, depending on the director's or producer's vision of it, you get different slices of that experiences mm-hmm. or that experience. And maybe in one film, it's focused on this person as, I don't know, like, let's just say, for example, like the action star, another you know, production, it could be focused as the person as, I don't know, the, the romantic or something like that, where it's like, it has to obviously, the character obviously has to play a role relative to what the director's vision is and relative to what the, the overall theme and messaging he wants, you know, the audience to kind of see. So I think there's also that nuance to it uh, as well. Yeah, which makes it just like a co- collaborative process where it kind of goes back to that whole point I was making about you have to just lose, you have to let go, right? You have to let go because you are collaborating with a bunch of different individuals. You all are 
working towards one goal, but you just don't know what's going to happen with every single aspect of the filmmaking process. So it's really about just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take on this experience and I'm going to let the story flow around me and flow through me at the same time. Right. Just like, let it, let it just move around you. Let it move through you. If, if that's what needs to happen as well. And then just like, don't judge it. Um, that's one thing I struggle with from a, from a, uh, yeah, just from a, just like from a, from my own experience where I would be my harshest critic. And I feel like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of sure. artists are of course. in, I in think, a way like it's, you know, go ahead. I was going to say like, even outside of acting, anyone who is a performer or entertainer, right. You're always going to be your hardest critic. You're always going to think like I could have done X, Y, Z better. Right. Like you're right. going to know the spots where you could have improved, which is, it, it's good. It's a good thing from a self-realization and being aware of the moment of, you know, areas that you can improve upon. Yeah. And I think it, it like, even to take that a step further, I would look at things in my performance, right? Whether it was from uh, a skit or sketch I was making, or if I recorded a self-tape for an audition and find like the smallest, I don't even know what you would call it, but like the smallest quirk, right? Like, oh, like my face moved funny <laughs> for like half a millisecond, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh man, I, I have to do this over again. Like that, that wasn't good. That was really bad. And then that was spiral. And then I, you could find other things. And then I would finish viewing the take and like, that's a bad take. That was, that was bad acting, terrible performance. Not realizing that it was going beyond being critical of my performance and actually like a weird form of self-bullying, if that makes any sense. Sure. <laughs> right? I, I like I'm literally that. telling, yeah, yeah. You're telling yourself like, oh, like this, you're not good enough. That wasn't good enough. That was bad. You're like, you're bad, right? Your acting is bad when that's not really the reality. A take is a take. And I learned that uh, from one of my teachers in an acting class I took recently um, this year. And they said, look, when you're doing a take, just look for the positive things because it's too easy to get super critical and do that self-bullying. Look for what's positive and say, oh, I like, I like this piece of the take. Oh, I like my tonality. Oh, I like the way I said that one word. But you know, in the next take, I'm going to try something different and just kind of keep moving on so that you don't get stuck on that and start spiraling. And that was just like a huge shift for me um and my acting to just like let let the art kind of exist outside of me in a weird way like once it was out there it was out there and then move on to the next thing if it was another take or another project just move on it's just i don't know it's just a better balance within you know that inner critic that's uh that's in all of us i would imagine that like when you look at behind the scenes videos of people performing or the bloopers and stuff like that i think like especially with bloopers those are actually really good examples of people messing <laughs> I, up I love and, then, and then they laugh, right? They, it's, I mean, obviously yeah. maybe for marketing purposes, they're only showing the good stuff where people are really happy. Uh, but I think that is a good positive reinforcement where it's like, you know, people are going to mess up, right? And you want to enjoy those moments together. And sometimes, you know, from those bloopers, 
those quote unquote mistakes, the best things kind of come out of it. Those are the, maybe those are the things that actually make into the final script because it seems like it's very much a creative collaborative process. And maybe it may take a couple tries. Maybe there's a different direction based off of, you know, the character's experiences that uh, proved to be actually a better take, right. Than what was originally written or prescribed. So uh, I think your teacher is right in thinking about it from a very positive angle because, you know, you never really know what's going to come out of it uh, when two people are kind of vibing or collaborating in the moment. Right, right. And especially when it's a blooper where everybody stays in character or if it's just like a one one person scene, they stay in character. Those those can be even funnier, right? Because they're, they're drawing from the material that they have in their preparation and then they're just they're just riffing, right? They're just being silly and you get some pretty good stuff out of it. Um, and you just have to not take yourself as seriously sometimes. I feel like, I feel like it's too easy to take yourself like super serious. Like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an actor. Like I'm an artist. I got to go in and do my thing. Like this has to be this way. It's got to be perfect, right? And, and just when you start getting to that mindset of like, oh, I can't mess up, you end up messing up. It's similar to when, you know, teams and sports have the lead and they're playing not to lose, right? And then they end up losing sometimes because they start becoming too conservative with their play call and they start making these weird mental mistakes that typically wouldn't happen because they're focusing on being perfect and not messing up, that they end up messing up because that's all they're focusing on versus continuing to win. So I feel like it's a similar thing. And then the, you just see it a lot in bloopers, right? You, you see it when they're just like truly enjoying themselves and having fun. So. I think if we kind of wrap it back, uh, wrap it back to that question that you first asked me, it's also about having fun. Acting is about having fun. Like you, you kind of have to keep that in mind, right? Like even if you're playing a, a evil character to society standards, or the silliest character in a slapstick comedy, just remember to try to have some fun. Right? It makes sense. It's a, it's a, it's a fun industry to be in. Like you literally get paid to play make-believe, <laughs> it's like, you gotta have some fun with that. I think the interesting thing too, and maybe you've experienced this, experienced this, but just the act, or I guess the environment of acting, right? Like, you know, I would imagine there's a lot of preparation, right, that's involved, uh, getting there early, the setup, and especially I imagine for a lot of these professional actors, it can be a grind, especially if you be on set for a really oh, yeah. long time. Uh, there's obviously, you imagine, more than just you as the actor. There's setting up the environment, making sure all the technicalities are set up, things like that. Uh, obviously, unforeseen delays. So I can imagine that having fun, that laughter, right, is a way to help cope also with the grind of being on set. 100%. Like, it definitely is... It, it is a grind, right? Like it's because you go from one project to the next. Um, typically you're not working with the same people. So you're trying to get adjusted to new collaborators every single time you step on a set. Um, but then even once you get to set, the thing that I didn't realize when I, before I got started with doing on-camera work is that you just spend so much time doing nothing. <laughs> like you're literally just waiting to be called up, you know, because they're, they're putting together the, uh, the set equipment or they're trying to figure out this one prop that won't 
stay still in the frame, you know, with their shooting in or the lighting is off. They're waiting for the sun to go through the fog because we're in the Bay Area, right? Like there's so many different variables and you're just doing a lot of waiting. <laughs> okay. So like you, you have to have some level. I mean, you really should just have fun with it in general, right? Like, and if that's not there for you, then maybe you have to start asking yourself a couple of questions, um, you know, when you leave set to see if it's something that you want to continue to do. And I think if it's not something that you continue to do, then that's perfectly fine as well. I think a lot of people um, have a fear of quitting in the, in, in like any artistic endeavor, right? Because it, it's almost like, oh, you gave up, you lost a good fight. And that's on you. But nobody's telling you that. <laughs> like nobody's telling you that. I feel like it's a it's a self-fulfilling lie that a lot of artists tell themselves no matter what endeavor that they're doing. And it's okay to transition into other things because you can use a lot of the values, a lot of the skills that you learn and just apply it in a different way. Right. You can go into the corporate world and because you you've done acting or you've done all these things, you know how to easily answer a question on your feet if somebody asks you, right? Like like simple things like that. Or you may go into a different industry and do something completely new because you're just open to different perspectives as an actor or as a rapper or a spoken word artist, whatever, you know, whatever it is. So I think it's okay to, um, and I'm on a tangent a little bit, but like it's okay to leave, right? Maybe like not call it quitting, but you're leaving or you're transitioning into something else. Because it's still going to be in your essence, right? Like, to express yourself. Um, yeah, I don't even know if I answered the question, but <laughs> but yeah, that's what that took me. I would I would say you did. <laughs> uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, like, what kind of skills? Because obviously, you still have your regular day job. Like, what kind of yeah. skills did you bring from acting into your uh, regular day job? Yeah, I would say um, it's just made my storytelling abilities from a marketing perspective, a lot more sharper, um, just because I'm constantly in that, right? Like whether it's in the nine to five or outside of it when I'm working on a different project or working on TikToks or whatnot. So it's kind of allowed me just to always keep the story in mind and just, okay, where's this going? Okay, how do I make this end? How do I start it? Um, where's an inflection point? Is there enough tension or conflict in this? Is this gonna grab somebody's attention so it's allowed me just to kind of see things from this, from that standpoint, right? Like, of just like truly just being a storyteller and just using, you know, if I learn stuff and acting, you know, bring that back into to the nine to five or vice versa, just to kind of keep playing tennis with whatever I'm learning from both of those fields. So I think that's kind of one of the things I've, um, I've been able to take away from it. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, also just to have more empathy right? For, for coworkers or anybody else and just listen to people, right? Like you'll, you'll have one-on-ones with, you know, your coworkers and stuff like that and just hear them out, see where they're coming from. Just truly try to be understanding and allow that to seep into your work, right? Not that you're getting anybody special treatment, but here's a good example of this. If your coworker says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of falling ill, right? And they're like, oh, I'm going to work through it. Have some empathy, right? because you know what it's like to be sick and you know that they probably need that rest. Be that coworker or that person, boss, whatever, that says like, you know, you should take a day off. <laughs> like right. just take the day off, like we got you. 
right? Like don't fall into that corporate trap trap of like, oh, now we're all here to work. Like, you know, they're just my coworker. They're also a person as well. Like keep that in mind and say, take care of you and come back when you're ready. Like the work is always going to be there. So I would say even on a small uh, interpersonal scale, just being more empathetic and just being mindful of what other people are going through outside of work. Yeah, one of my uh, ex-coworkers who I actually interviewed, he's a aspiring comedian. One of the things he nice, said was nice. as an aspiring comedian, the thing that he also brought back to his regular day job was being able to communicate better, uh, to be able mm. to, when meeting new people, instead of saying like, you know, hi, my name is Michael, right? And like, you get the same kind of standard script, right? Being able to break the monotony, right? To be able to introduce yourself in a way uh, that's a little bit more fun and engaging, that makes you human, right? Because like in the corporate work, you know, let's say in a workplace, right? Like sometimes you can right. fall into the trap of just like the standard sort of lingo or jargon or the way that people address each other. But having, I think that improv ability and like you were mentioning empathy, that really allows for more of a human dynamic element that uh, can really just make a workplace more fun uh, in a good way from like a person to person perspective while still being professional. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that. And then I'll say one of, one of the other ways that's helped me out is that when I'm starting to look at production for our marketing assets or just our creatives or advertisements, um, when I'm starting to do that, I've now seen both sides of it, right? Where I've been the talent, but now I'm on the other side as the client and call me co-producer or I don't know, creator, whatever you want to call that. But I'm able to see that not every decision is, uh, is personal, right? Like if, if I pass on a specific actor, they probably just don't have the look and they could have been amazing, right? They could have been like the next person who's going to blow up and eventually win five Oscars. I'm making that, you know, I'm making that right, up. Right. Uh, give an extreme example, but they could have been that, but they didn't match the look that I was going for. And it's nothing against them. It just is what it is. So then that helps me learn on the talent side. If I don't get something that's all good. It is what it is. Maybe I was too tall and the other actor was just way short and they didn't want to deal with that. They didn't, they didn't want to bring in a, um, what, what we call an apple box, which is really just like a, a wooden box for them to stand on during scenes, right? They didn't want to deal with that. So they wanted somebody who was going to be just fit in the frame, or maybe they were looking for somebody who had a different vibe than me. Right. And that's okay. That's completely okay. So I've learned that to kind of let go even on that end. Um, and then also from a production standpoint, I'm able to see how much stuff goes into it. You just have so much respect for everybody that's in the process, right? Like it's, it's just so time consuming to find the actors, do the scheduling, uh, go scout a location that's going to work. That's going to fit with the vibe of it to then pick out wardrobe to then make sure the script works, um, to then storyboard it. And then you have to make sure, you know, everybody is going to be okay. And then, boom, COVID comes into the picture as well. And everybody has to get tested. There's just so many different elements that seeing that side of it just gives me an appreciation for everybody involved that I just didn't have, right? Because I didn't understand how it really all um, came together. So 
yeah, I would say that's one of the things, just being on the production side and being able to see that and lead a vision and then get the end result that was pretty close to what I thought it would be, or even better, is very fulfilling. And so it's just like learning how to collaborate better and just be be a better participant when it comes to collaboration. The one comment I will make is that uh, producers are a very, very, very important and often underrated role that I think a lot of people don't 100%. understand what they do. It's like they're the ones behind the scenes that are keeping basically all the lights on or off uh, for that, for <laughs> yeah. lack of better words. Uh, you know, at my workplace, we have produced, I've worked with, this is the first time I've worked with the producers, at least for marketing yeah. assets. And I'm like, wow, like this is such a life-changing sort of a work experience, I would say. Um, and the operational organization that they do uh, is totally underrated. Uh, just not having one before, like I would actually be doing producering, you know, producer E stuff uh, for marketing assets yeah. and whatnot. And I know how much work that that takes. So having someone that's dedicated yeah, it's, it's a lot to of work. It, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. It is. I, I agree with you. Like producers don't get enough credit for what they do. I mean, they're even handling negotiations as well for different people involved in the film. It is, it's a whole thing. <laughs> right? It's right. a whole thing. And, and it takes a special individual to do it. I, I, I will, I will definitely admit that. So that part's been really fun. And by I kind of said to wrap up that that aspect of understanding the talent side and the client side and seeing production from end to end, I'm able to spot things now. And I, I try to turn it off sometimes because like, it, it won't be like the right right moment for it, but I'm but I'm able to spot certain things either within the script. Um, say, hey, we should change that because I think this is how it will look, and here's how this person is going to come in. Here's the action that we need them to take. Here's where we need them to stand at because I'm I'm thinking about all these different things that I've done and seen, and I'm like, yeah, that's I think that's the right way to go. Um, or here's a good example of it when it happens when it when I'm trying to turn it off, but essentially this this the term that is something that we call uh consistency right in in acting and that's just making sure that stuff is placed where it's supposed to be placed or even the story plot line like things are happening that you've already referenced before so for instance if i have a cup in this scene i'm holding it while i'm talking to you i have to keep this cup up <laughs> the entire scene Otherwise, next thing you know, I'm talking to you and like, I'm, I'm doing this, right? And, and people are like, wait, the cup just disappeared. Right. <laughs> like, what is going on? Right. Like you've ruined the consistency. So I'll even think about that stuff when I'm acting and I'm trying not to, but I guess it's like the producer hat or the directing hat from directing myself through uh, my own skits and sketches. But I'm like, hey, but we got to remember to bring that plate back over here. And everyone's like, oh yeah, thank you so much. Right. So there's there's stuff like that where it just pops up and it helps out in small, subtle ways that make me a more um, dynamic collaborator, despite whatever actual role that I'm playing within that whole uh, film project. Makes sense. One thing that I kind of want to, that you touched upon earlier was talking about rejection. And I would imagine, or you talked about rejection as, in the way that maybe you just weren't fit for the role. Uh, you kind of have to let things go outside of your control. 
Like, talk to me a little bit about how, as an actor, you've had to deal with rejection, because I'm sure you've had to deal with it a lot as you're trying to get cast for various gigs. Yeah, rejection is just, it's, it's so common <laughs> in, in acting. And I think that was probably the first adjustment I had to make from, you know, corporate world to acting where you're interviewing all the time as an actor. Like you spend most of your job, I would say, interviewing, right? Unless, unless you know, you're you're already at the top of the field and you're able to choose your jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just take the the average starting off, um, the person starting off in their career as an actor. You just get so much rejection, and you have to. I want to say you don't have to become numb to it, but you have to think about it as something that just happens, right? And just accept it. It's almost and it's it's neither good or bad, right? Like, it's neutral. Got it. So this is like you accepting it to, as part of the process, right? Of yeah, it's part of the process. Actor. The same the same way that if you open up a candy store, you're going to account for a certain amount of theft, right? Like that's like people going to take your candy and sample it without paying, right? Like that just is what it is. And like <laughs> people who own candy stores accept that risk when they jump into that business. So you have to kind of get through that phase, right? And not take things personal. I used to take things personal sometimes, right? Not not Michael Jordan level of like, oh, I took that personally and I'm never working with that person again. Or I'm going to like go win an Emmy and like put them in my acceptance speech. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I wasn't, I wasn't doing nothing like that, but um, I would take it personally, right? I'm like, oh, okay. They didn't, they didn't want me. Okay. They didn't, they didn't think I was good enough. Cool. Noted. Right. So when when you kind of remove yourself from it and realize that at the end of the day, the casting director may not even be making the final decision as the client, right? You could be great, you could be good, but you're just not right for that role because of whatever. You're they already have somebody who looks just like you. You don't know that, <laughs> right? Like you really don't know that. There's so many other factors that play into it. And once you start removing yourself from the situation and looking at your performance and your brand as more of like a, from a business side, you say, oh, that wasn't the right customer. Okay. There's going to be another customer that wants what I have to offer and what my acting brand can bring to their project. Okay. I'm going to keep shopping this around and eventually somebody will, will buy it and say, Hey, come on, we, we, want, we want to work with you. you. You're great. Right. So I think you kind of have to switch your mindset and think about it from either a business perspective or just accept it as part of what you signed up to do. So I think that's how I started to cope with rejection in a healthier way. Um, yeah. So you talked about not necessarily always fitting the right role. So kind of on the flip side, like how do you hone what kind of identity or persona that you kind of want to anchor yourself around? Uh, just because I would imagine if you're trying to be everything right in terms of like trying mm -hmm. to uh appeal to all kinds of genres or types of personas you may not do them as well so like how do you define like what kind of i wouldn't say typecast right but more of like the identity that you well, like your brand right like your, your niche brand, yeah of yeah yeah your brand and niche 100 percent. i would say that it's a little bit easier with on camera work because at the end of the day people are going to look at you and they can see something about you that's like oh oh that, that guy looks like a cop 
or that guy just looks like he he's a bad guy. Okay, he can play these types of bad guys, right? Like, and there's nothing you can really, <laughs> you can't really do anything about it. So I think it almost self-selects you. And there's things you can do, of course, to position yourself for certain types of roles and certain types of shows that you want to go on. If, you know, if you're trying to get on sitcoms and stuff like that, maybe you're taking classes on comedy and timing or a sitcom class on like how, how to actually uh, deliver those lines because everything has a particular style to it. But I would say at a more general level, you just want to understand, okay, like when people see me, what else do they see in me? Right. And kind of go from there. So you can ask your friends or you can ask other actors or colleagues or whoever, Hey, like what, what a couple of words you think, you know, when you see me, what do you, what are the words that pop to your mind? Or like, if I wasn't in tech, what other jobs could you see me doing? And that'll kind of help you formulate your brand. And you're like, Oh, okay. So I can play people who are compassionate. I can play people who are organizers and people who create harmony. Well, okay. That means you might be a therapist or maybe you're a community organizer or you run a nonprofit, or you're a social worker in a film, or a teacher, right? So like, you kind of have to think about it from that way, like, what's your essence, which is informing your brand. And those are the types of roles that that you will more than likely have a higher chance of actually booking. Versus for me, let's just use me, for example, I don't necessarily have like the bad guy face, whatever that means. But for the most part, you're like, oh yeah, let's, let's get him in as the villain. Like you, you probably, I probably wouldn't be the first choice for that, right? Depending on, mo like for most films. So I have to know that about myself. I can aspire to one day wanting to play a villain and maybe that opportunity presents itself. And I surprise a lot of people because it's different from my brand. But in the beginning, more than likely, you're going to get bookings for stuff that is more believable of what people can just see you as as soon as you walk in the door or walk on the screen. Right. So you're saying what you're telling, what I'm kind of gathering is that there's kind of also a practicality element to it as well. Like for example, they're not going to cast you for an old man. Like that's just not your uh -huh. look, right? Like visually, even though maybe Although you're I did get cast for an old man though. I did. <laughs> it, it was, it was actually pretty fun, but yeah, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> like, I'm just saying like, obviously without like, I mean, obviously there's so much like that makeup can do and, and things like right. that. Right. Uh, but there, it sounds like there is also, like I was saying, a practicality element in terms of like the casting, like the first visuals of, you know, what someone sort of like fits into. Yeah, definitely. Because it's just, it's too difficult in film to, to do something that's completely without your age, age range, or that just like, doesn't seem like it fits you, especially if you're, uh, if you're not as prominent of a, of a star, so to speak, right? Um, where it has to make sense for the story, right? You have to always go back to the story. Unless somebody is breaking the story on purpose, like for instance, a good example of this is uh, the two lead actors for Pen15, although it's a show about being a, a teenager and becoming like, uh, or a tween, right? Becoming 13 or 14. The two lead actors are like 30 but it was done on purpose from like a, you know, production standpoint and creator standpoint. Typically speaking, that's not really gonna happen. You're gonna play five years younger than what your age is and then maybe five years older. That's a, you know, generally, but um, you kind of have to accept that, but it's not that you have to accept it and say, oh, well, I'm always gonna be a doctor for the rest of my life whenever I act. Like, no, you're not. You just have to keep getting 
better and better improve at your craft and then you can aspire for certain types of roles that you always wanted to play and make sure that you're always preparing and angling yourself towards that because you'll eventually get closer and closer to the mark so i think it's it's almost like a temporary thing but at the end of the day you can't like you said you can't be everything for everybody you have to have a certain brand right like people see nike and adidas and reeboks and, and everybody differently and puma they, they have certain brands right and you have to look at it that way and every brand will play some play a specific character differently or maybe similar so it's just accepting that asking the people around you what do you see me as being realistic with it not being uh so not not being upset about it but accepting it and say okay cool i'm gonna do these things the best that i can and you'll end up booking more and more and more got it i want to kind of go back to the philosophical side of acting a little bit yeah. and i'm thinking about what is sort of, in your opinion, what is sort of the power of leveraging emotion when you're acting, right? I think that's part of expressing a character, but I want to kind of get your take on, you know, the ways that emo like expressing emotion uh, is important as an actor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much, I mean, it's a, it's a big part of your job, right? To be connected emotionally to the scene, to the character, um to the other characters or maybe not right like sometimes the characters might be uh might not be as connected to the other person in the scene but still the emotions are still there and to allow it to come to you and you almost have to buy in to the world that you created with the other other people involved right so it's so you buy in so the audience can buy in but if you if you haven't bought into it and you hit the screen and you've missed the emotional mark of that scene or whatever it may be, people can sense it. And either they'll say, oh, that was bad acting. And they're like, I don't know about this movie, <laughs> this TV show, right? Like, you know, people kind of, they'll feel it. So I think it's one of those things where you just have to feel the emotion, right? And so from a philosophical standpoint, just be open to it because your job requires you to let emotions to flow through you so you just have to be open to it even outside of acting itself right like don't don't only <laughs> access the emotions when you're when you're acting but you know live your life go do new experiences go do different things like that so that you can understand what these feelings may be and then when you're going to play and live as another character you're able to access the emotions of that character but it's, it's everything. I mean, like, it's just such a huge part of the job. So earlier you mentioned that most of the actors, they tend to be much older. They've been doing it for a longer period of time. And you also talked about life experiences. And so the reason why yeah. I bring those up is like, I would imagine that the older that you are, you have a wider range of emotions that you've experienced it, you've experienced relative to those life experiences. Uh, with perspective. So kind of want to get your take on like emotion relative to your life experience and how that kind of plays a role in terms of acting. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say like a lot of the, the lead actors 
are definitely they're, they're probably older right like and you're like oh wow this person is 40 something years old and they're playing somebody who's 30 right you're like wow they, they've been killing it they've, they've been doing so well in the industry and it does probably relate to a lot of their life experience they've seen more maybe they have kids maybe they don't but they've just done a lot more in their life that they can pull from i don't i wouldn't say that's probably the only thing that allows them to get there. I'm sure like there's other things, right? Their preparation and everything else that they've done. Um, they're, they're given talent that helps them get to that point. But I would say for most actors in general, the one thing that I always hear from teachers, from different professionals in the industry is that as an actor, yes, you should always be working on your craft and like you're reading plays, you're watching movies, you're taking classes, you're doing this, you're on to the next thing, you're on to the next thing, but don't forget to stop and live some life. <laughs> because if you're only just an actor, you know, what, you're not bringing anything else to it. Right? You're, like, just, a, like, you're, just, a textbook, be, you're just a textbook actor. Yeah, it, it could be hollow. Yeah, it could be hollow, right? Like, and so but if you go live some life, get get some I said live some life, <laughs> get some life experience, then that could help inform a character that you have to create, right? Or maybe they're looking for somebody who can is going to be playing as a bartender and you've taken some bartending classes or you make drinks at home all the time, right? Like it doesn't always have to be acting. Like go do, you can go do something else that may unlock something in you or just help you just express yourself in a different way that's not just acting. So I think getting that life experience, whether it's finding a different hobby, um, traveling or just doing something completely out of the box that you would never do can only help you like as an actor and of course as a person in general but like definitely as an actor for sure i mean it sounds like it's just to build up your creative repertoire right like you're ex you draw from different experiences um and that is like kind of like when you're looking for inspiration those are things that you can always draw upon yeah, because you, you've seen things, right? Or like you're paying attention to people. You know, you're just, I mean, you're not studying, studying them, but you, you kind of are, right? Like if you're going out, you go to a different country and you see the way that people interact with each other, you pick up certain things that you might not be able to describe exactly what that is, but then, you know, you just bring it out in a film one day because that's what the moment needed. Or you pay attention to social cues when people are trying to avoid somebody in public and now you have to do a scene that's like that you're trying to avoid somebody in public you're like oh wait a minute like all right I i've seen this before like even though i didn't live this experience i i, I kind of saw that in public right so i think all those different things are just going to serve you and you can draw from it or you cannot draw from it or you can like create it you know organically from your imagination got it so Obviously, I would think, I would imagine that expressing your emotions, right, if you're doing it a lot, whether it's suppressing them or going through a deep sort of expression of them in a short period of time, it does take an emotional toll on your body, uh, mm. like physically, right? Because, you know, you talk about, I mean, you hear people say like, you know, maybe you're physically exhausted, right, from going through or putting your body through maybe a traumatic emotional experience. And so I'm curious, like, as an actor, how do you take care of your body to help recover and manage like the stress that comes with being an actor, not only from like the whole job, like the external factors of the job, 
but also when you're on the job and you're playing another character and you're uh, channeling or suppressing all these different emotions. Yeah. Honestly, I need to be better about that. <laughs> if I'm being quite honest, but the, the things that I try to do are doing things that like I just enjoy doing, whether it's like picking up a, a book or watching a series or just doing nothing. Right. And it doesn't have to be meditation. Literally just like, let me just sit down and do nothing or just listen to music, right? Like listen to music and not do anything else. I don't, I don't know how many people do it, do that that often, but it's a nice experience because you can just focus on the words and the emotions of the song, but just really taking a proper break, I would say, and not trying to take a break, just kind of a break where you're like, oh, okay, I just finished with that film project. Let me go ahead and start uh, submitting self tapes or let me start doing something else immediately. That's not like a real break, right? So I think honoring your rest periods is something that's super key that I'm learning <laughs> that I need to do um, because that can help you come down emotionally from a scene that's super intense or repair your 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 instruments, right? Like for instance, I, I was in a film where I was playing a, a husband who whose world was crumbling. And unfortunately, that made him do something pretty bad, which was abuse his wife, right? So as you can imagine, this is a pretty intense, <laughs> intense scene, right, right? Right? Like this, this is, you know, this is not, not a some rosy, happy. You're putting your scene. your mind and your body in a state of trauma, as if you were actually doing the deed. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's all of that wrapped in one, and I ended up losing my voice after the third or fourth take because we were yelling at each other. And so I had to find rest periods in between <laughs> it takes, right? I'm like asking for tea and honey and lemon, like doing all these different things. So even finding rest within <laughs> within while you're doing it is important. I mean, it's just, I keep going back to sports, but like it's the same thing with sports. Like you, the def, like for football, the defense gets off the field. They need to take their rest. Like make sure you're getting that rest. Like you have to, otherwise like you're not going to make it through the game. Uh, same thing with the offense, right? So it's it's very similar to that. Like you have to honor the rest because it's part of getting you back and getting all your instruments ready to go again. So that's one thing that I'm definitely learning um, to do, just honor the rest period. And that goes for anything. If you're hustling and you're an entrepreneur or whatever endeavor you're trying to do outside of your nine to five, still find some time to rest because you you can burn yourself out. It's just, it's way too easy to do that. Got it. One thing that I can kind of trans, or this is sort of like a transition piece to this particular yep. question, which is like, how do you prepare your mind and body to get into that flow state? So obviously you mentioned rest, right? Like that's part of it, but when you're about to prepare for a gig, right? Like, is there a routine that you kind of do to prepare every single time to get you to that flow state. And I'm sure rest is like a part of, you know, that preparation as well. So I'm just curious about what your routine is to, you know, get you prepared to perform at your best. Yeah. So typically I would say my, I want to have like a, a formal routine, but I'll do some sort of stretching right before 
you know, let's call it 30 minutes before I have to actually go perform within the film or whatever, you know, even if it was theater to go perform. And so I'm stretching, I'm getting my body loose. So that's not a factor, right? Like, like just get the body loose. And then I'm getting my mind uh, prepared. I'm thinking about what happened before, like directly before the scene, right? So say if I'm going to speak to my boss in the scene and something great just happened, right? Like we just, we just met our quarterly goals in two months. Or sorry, let's have something even better in one week, <laughs> something crazy like that, our quarterly sure. sales goals. Then I want to stay in that moment and just really think about that. Like how would that make make the character feel or me feel? You get into that mindset. So when I get on stage, as soon as I'm on the camera, you see that something is happening. Right, like without me saying anything, you see something ha is happening, right? So like my pace is faster. Well, oh my gosh, I got good news. And, you know, I'm going to the to the uh, to the boss, and they're like, "What's up?" And then I tell them. Right, so it, it's those little things. I would say it's like stretching, get, getting myself loose, so that's not a factor. But then focusing, you know, any more time I have before then to think about exactly what's happened before, because that's going to impact how I deliver the line, right? That emotional charge that's coming through me because if something bad happened, I have bad news and I know my boss isn't going to take it well, then <laughs> it's going to, it's going to be a different way that, that anybody might say that. So it's really focusing on those two things. Got it. And would you say like, after you deliver your lines and you know, they say cut, right. And you're moving on to, yep. to the next scene, like, what is that? Decompre either decompression stage, the rest stage, or, and also like preparing, let's say if you have to be on set like the next day, uh, like what is that rest to preparation phase like? Like, is there a kind of diet that you're thinking about? Like, hey, I want to make sure I have enough energy to last throughout the day to be prepared. Is there a kind of sleep schedule that you try to be on to make sure that you have that energy uh, going into the next set? Or the next day yeah i would say if it's like say a back-to-back -back day or or this just you know it's a multi-day shoot then the night before i'm pretty much not doing anything right like i'm i'm just chilling relaxing drinking as much water as i can right just trying to stay hydrated um just because for me i notice it just makes me feel a little bit sharper i can sustain energy for longer periods of time and then just trying to try to get that good good night rest before. I feel like it's really just those two things, keeping it as simple as possible. But maybe that'll change in the future. Maybe I'll I'll incorporate you know a thirty minute meditation on the character and who they are before I go to bed, so I can kind of get more into that that headspace a little bit earlier. Uh, but for right now, it's just like get that rest. Don't do anything that's you know that's pushing your body too hard the day before because you're going to need it when you hop on set. Like that's, that's definitely one thing that's going to happen. You're going to need all your tools and your instruments. So let them rest. Like don't, don't do too much. Cool. Do you ever mix your, the qualitative or I guess the quantitative side from marketing with kind of the human and emotional sides, like from, from acting into your performances? Like, does marketing ever play a role other than just the storytelling, but like, right. you know, 
the the numbers or the strategy behind the marketing? Like, does that go into like the frameworks for marketing or not for marketing for uh, for your acting gigs? Yeah, there's probably one way, <laughs> one way right now where I let uh, some of that influence my acting, and it's because I created my own optimization report. <laughs> <laughs> as, okay. as nerdy as that may sound or as as typical, you know, such a typical user acquisition professional thing that may sound, I created an optimization report where I can see <laughs> my conversion rate from the amount of submissions all the way down to my booking rate. So I've got like a net funnel efficiency <laughs> for, okay. for okay. all of my um, for all my stuff. So that kind of just brings in more of the business side of it, right? To help me understand what are the things that either I did to then influence those bumps? So a perfect example of this was, I can't remember exactly what my booking rate was. Let's call it less than, let's call it less than 3%, right? Let's just call it that for like half of the year. And then I had gotten new headshots that I was really proud of. I was like, man, these are, these are, these are pretty good. So I started using those putting them, you know, on my different acting profiles. And I saw the booking rate just go up, just kept going up. And okay. then, which helped me get over 5% in terms of like my booking rate for the entire year thus far. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good hit ratio, so to speak. So it just helps me realize that at the end of the day, acting is a business, <laughs> right? Like it's, you know, you, it's a craft, it's, you know, but the industry itself is a business. And the brand and my product of the acting itself has to be put out there. And I need to have a way to evaluate it that's a little bit more objective than, oh, man, I wasn't the right person because they went with somebody else. I need another way of looking at it to say, okay, when I get new headshots, okay, things went went up, great. Oh, I took a class, okay, I started getting more callbacks, right? I can start seeing the correlation of taking that time to improve my product and my brand and seeing how it directly influences my performance. So I think it's, I mean, that's probably one of the ways I've, I've used <laughs> that marketing stuff. Nice, in acting. nice. Like, do you imagine a scenario where it's like, okay, I received like X amount of dollars from, you know, booking and it's like, okay, here's a portion of that that I'm going to reinvest into you know more ads or something like that to increase bookings or you know like are there other more strategic opportunities where it's like i would really like to go to this i don't know networking conference like what are some strategic ways to or acting conference or whatever like what are strategic ways to you know put my dollars sort of to use to have a better chance of i don't know getting an introduction it's basically like lead gen i would imagine yeah yeah yeah, essentially, in a way, it is like that, right? You're trying to, you're, you're trying to attract people to your brand. So I would say, I don't have necessarily, like, oh, here's a set aside amount that I know I'm going to put into it. I kind of look at my whole entire year, see what things are going on. I'm okay, great. I can take a class in these two months because I know I'm not going to have a lot going on, and I kind of plan out my year that way, looking at where can I improve at. What things do I need help with? How can I go make those things better? Um, and then a way to take it further that I could do or that any any actor 
Usanov could do is like, you know, go to those film festivals, go to even even if you don't have a film that's in it, just be around the space of other filmmakers. And maybe, you know, you have a conversation with somebody and they put you in one of the indie films. I don't know, like that, that stuff happens, right? But if you're not putting yourself in those networking opportunities, then it may not happen. But then I would say probably the biggest, and this is going to sound crazy or maybe sound unfair, but the biggest thing that helps you get more work is getting more work (laughs) because the networking is happening right there on the set. You know, people are watching you do, do your thing and they like, they like your performance. And then they may pull you to the side or like during a break, lunch break, they're like, Hey, I'm actually working on a film that I think you'd be great for. Do you, I'm going to send you a script. You mind checking it out? And it could be another actor. It could be the DP. It could be, uh, it could be anybody on set. It could be the audio person. And that's happened to me before. We're like audio person, like, Hey, I'm about to do a project in a month. Can oh, you nice. do it? Sure. Right. So like work creates more work. And I think the key to having that happen is just be a good person. Just come on set, be professional, have fun, respect everybody, do your thing, and then get out, right? That's, that's just be a good person to be around. Everybody is more than likely doing this on the side, or even the people who are doing it as their full-time career want everybody to be respectful of the fact that, hey, we're doing something that's not easy. We all need to be good human beings. And not everybody gets that part, but if you can, it will help you get more work, right? It might not be immediately immediately where it's like, oh, hey, I'm doing something tomorrow. Can you help me out? Although that does happen, but maybe it, it comes up in four or five years. That student that you worked with at on a student film is now actually big, right? <laughs> like they're, right. they're like the, the next up and coming director or filmmaker and they're like, Hey, I remember working with Michael. He was amazing. Like he, he was just, he was chill. He didn't cause any problems and he did really good. I'm bringing him back. Here, here's your pay. And you might not even have to audition. So it's really just about, you know, you do all those things, of course, go to film festivals, take classes, do those incremental things that help you build up better market materials, you know, get keep getting more materials for your demo reels that shows you doing the characters and the brands that you can play. Um, keep taking classes to get better. Do all those things. Take care of yourself. Find new hobbies so you can have new special skills to sell as part of your brand. But then also just be a good person. <laughs> like, like, and, and that doesn't cost you anything to come on set and be professional. Be chill and do your thing. It sounds like it's one, you're always auditioning, even when you're not actually auditioning. Uh, and then the second thing too, that I'm actually curious about, cause we talked about networking events, like going to film festivals yeah. and stuff like that. Do you apply your optimization framework when you go to like film festivals as well? Like bigger networking events It's like, okay, like now you're really like a salesperson where it's like, I'm going to this event, I'm getting, here's how many leads I got, right? Like out of that, where has that sort of led to in terms of conversation maybe a booking right or you know some other lead like i'm just curious if if that optimization framework has also applied to you know going to bigger events yeah the crazy thing is i actually have never been to a film festival but um 
or really an acting, like a specific networking event for actors. So I haven't yet applied that framework to, to that, but um, I will say that I do, I just, I just try to be a, just be a good person, right? Like keep everything professional and that hopefully will pan out. But yeah, the optimization framework definitely applies to like submissions because I need to see those numbers. I need to figure out like, you know, in order to get one film project and do a, and, and, and do that, do I need to submit 10 times or do I need to submit 20 times, right? Because then maybe I set a goal at the end of the year, beginning of the year, saying, hey, I want to do X amount of films. And now I need to know, now I know how many submissions that I'll have to do in order to hit that goal. So I feel like it mainly sticks with that, but when it comes to networking, I'm trying to I'm trying to just keep that as I don't know, just like as open as possible, not shutting myself off to certain possibilities. Like, oh, this person's a filmmaker and they've done all these big movies. Let me go talk to them and, and brush up with them. I just kind of let it flow. Okay. One example I wanted to bring up was, uh, and it, it was related to what we kind of just talked about. Yeah. Was one of my old college roommates uh, who I actually interviewed as well. Uh, and so his name is Daniel Ma and he's part of this group called Marshall Club. And I feel like I bring it up a lot, but this, I think this story actually pertains really well. So they have a YouTube channel. They've been doing like uh, a lot of like Hong Kong martial arts kind of skits. And they oh, wow. got, they got discovered by uh, the Daniels, uh, which are basically the producers for the, the new movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And he was telling me that they oh, discovered wow. they discovered them through YouTube, right? So I think that's kind of also the flip side as well. So there's like the whatever the performance marketing side of it, but then there's the owned media side of it, where we will talk about it a little bit with like social media and how all that works with acting. But you know, also having your portfolio, I think, out there, your level of work out into the public where people can kind of discover you. Uh, that's kind of like the flip side of the the equation as well where they were looking for someone that was doing stuff like them only to find that they're based in Orange County, California. And it's like, oh, they're in our backyard, right? Why don't we just hire them? Like they thought they were all the way out <laughs> in like Hong Kong or something like that. So I bring up that example wow. because that was a way where it's just like, you never know who's really gonna find you, but also just by putting out your work uh, that people can discover you. That's also a way I think that like you can still bring in leads, like you can call it, you can call it the organic sort of route, right. Of, uh, getting lead generation through posting more native content. Definitely. Definitely. And I think the biggest takeaway for that is you never know who's watching. You're always you auditioning. Really never know. Right. Like, especially for social media and the content world, right. You see numbers, you see like, oh, this had. 10,000 views, this had 400 views, this had 20 million views, right? But you don't know who's watching, <laughs> right? You could have 50 views and maybe somebody who's about to open a door for you has watched it and has been like, yep, this is the person we're looking for. Back to like the story about your friends. So yeah, I mean, that's always that's always a fun thing to keep in the, keep in the back of your mind. Um, and not necessarily dwell on it to be like, oh, okay, every single thing I put out on social media, you know, somebody from name that studio or somebody at Hulu is going to like, look at this and be like, ah, we found the next star, right? Like you don't have to think of dwell on it too much, but just know that 
somebody's going to find you one day, right? And it's kind of like that opportunity meeting luck. And if you built up a resume or a catalog of all these things that you can do, and they're looking for exactly that, they're looking for your brand, then you're lucky. You're an overnight success, right? So air quotes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because overnight success is, yeah, I don't think that stuff really exists if you ask me. <laughs> but even if you were an overnight success, you still have to maintain it. Like you have a lot of one yeah, wonders that yeah. didn't necessarily, you know, continue to leverage it. Right. And, and maybe they got paid out for one big gig and like, they're fine with it. And you can call that an overnight success, quote unquote. But I think overnight success is just more of a, a moment versus like actual sustained success. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And um, to to pivot a little bit like into the social media stuff, as you, you brought up your, your friend, like a good example of this for me was I had, I don't know how I even got this idea for this skit. I wouldn't even really call it a skit, but like a quick video where I was like, oh, things that happen when you like when you get older or whatever. And like, I just stood up from a couch and like made a noise, like made a grunt, <laughs> right? Like what an adult would, would do. And it it did numbers. It did pretty well. I think it got to like 2 million. That was like my biggest hit on Instagram. And then probably like a whole, a whole month later, I wake up Saturday morning or Sunday. I can't remember which day it was on the weekend. I open my phone and it says BT has tagged you. I was like, BT, D B E T. You know, like, I'm like, you thought it was like a fake account. Like, Oh, this has got to be, I thought it was a fake account. Yeah. 100%. Instead of I'm like, here's, here's, here's somebody posing or unofficial or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. I thought it was one of those accounts. And I looked at it. I'm like, Oh, like D B E T just posted me. Okay. Wow. Right. Like, and it kind of goes back to that point. You never know who's watching. I don't know how many, how many people saw that and how that's going to impact my life. Or if one day down the road, somebody from BT is going to reach out for, I don't know, some movie or original content that they're making. I have no clue how that's going to impact my life. But at the end of the day, you never know who's watching, right? Like somebody from their team was clearly watching to then repost me. Got it. I guess now that we're talking about social media, how has social media sort of played a role in kickstarting your acting career? Because I'm imagining that that's something that has been kind of the main accelerant of that's something that you have to you have to nurture kind of on a daily basis. Uh, so just kind of want to get your take on your experience with that. Yeah, I mean, it's impacting me in a bunch of different ways. We'll talk about let's talk about the business side first and then the craft side of it because i feel like there's definitely two it's two different lanes um that, that are kind of helping with with my acting career so i would say from the business side it definitely gives me something to further sell my brand it's like hey you might you know you might be like oh who's who's conrad right like <laughs> if i come across a casting director's um inbox Right. And they see my resume, they see that I've applied to the specific role. And then they may say, Oh, he's actually pretty good. And if for whatever reason they're trying to decide between me and somebody else, and they care about having somebody who can sell and push the project, maybe my following can help out with that. Or maybe it just gives me an opportunity to actually 
for them to be like, oh, people care about him. Let's give him a shot for this bigger project or whatever it may be. So I think on the business side, it helps me out that way to have something else that is an added bonus to me as an actor. But then on the business side, it also helps pay out with, with sponsorships, right? It's, you know, I'm not like flushed out with sponsors and getting sponsored like every day or anything like that. But when it comes, it comes and it's nice, right? And I've got, I've been very fortunate and super grateful for the uh, sponsors that I've worked with um, pretty early on in uh, the content creation journey. So that part has been really nice, like supplement the acting stuff with the sponsorships and the, you know, the, the revenue from that part of my business as a actor slash content creator. So I feel like that has really helped out. And then on the craft side, that <laughs> that's a whole different story. But I would say that it's helped out big time with me just understanding that I have to buy into the world that I'm creating because there's not much, you know, that, that, that I have in here to create an entire set, but I have to think outside the box. I have to use everything, whether it's a green screen and use a specific, you know, image to help put that world into place and make it believable. But I have to buy into it immediately because that's what people want to gravitate towards. And they're going to see that on the screen as soon as they, you know, they're scrolling like, oh, wow, like that's, this is for real. Like he's, he's like acting, he's doing this thing. So I think that's one of the things that's really taught me about the craft, just to go all in, make a choice and you'll be okay. <laughs> right. So I would say those are probably uh, two of the ways it's been benefiting me, business side and then craft side. You know what it sounds like? It almost sounds like for social media, you're playing Dungeons and Dragons as one of the participants. <laughs> and the algorithm <laughs> is basically the dungeon master that will just make changes kind of on the fly, right? You're thinking about the audience as well as kind of a, I don't know, a nebulous sort of dungeon master, like a secondary, like <laughs> not, not really a henchman or a henchwoman, right? But like they're or, the people- Or, or the NPC. The, the helpful NPC. <laughs> yeah. Or they're, or they're like, you know, like the, not the enemy to take down, but like, you know, the thing that you're interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it, it is like that in, in a way for sure. I mean, the algorithm can be stingy sometimes and I feel like all content creators can feel my pain when I say that. But um, one of the things that I've learned about algorithms, so to speak, is that when you are going into the content creation journey, you're like, okay, I wanna reach more and more people. You kinda have to figure out just what works for your account, right? And do that style of video or that concept as many ways as you can possible to continue to get that growth, right? And then you have to also be okay with that wave crashing because it will eventually crash. And then you can either pivot, figure something else out that's similar, that gives off that same vibe. So then you start building that wave again, or you can just completely rebrand yourself. And that's actually what I'm doing right now. I'm just like completely rebranding what I do to be sketches and skits. Um, that's the way I'm kind of rebranding myself to give people something a little bit more, right? Take more time and put more care and attention into 
the individual pieces of content so that eventually over time I'll have this nice catalog that you'll go through and be like, wow, this stuff is it's really clever. It's really well done. It's good. It's funny. Right? So I think it's one of those things where you can play with the algorithm and you know there's certain content that will feed into it and, and make you successful. Or you can force the algorithm to bend towards you. Right? And some people do that. They take the long road and say, hey, I'm going to do this thing. I'm just going to keep doing it until eventually it blows up or goes viral. Right. And that's that stuff happens. That really does. So I think it's um, it's about just whatever direction you want to go with the whole social media thing. Got it. I was going to ask how your content has evolved over time. So I know that I believe you've been doing TikTok for at least, what, a good two to three years or so. Uh, and so I'm just curious, like if you've kind of done, you mentioned how it's evolved, but I'm curious if you could detail and flesh out how that journey started to kind of where it is now in terms of the types of content that you're producing. Yeah, man, what a journey. <laughs> it's, it's been, a, it has been a journey. That is a great way to describe it. So I started making content January 21st or 22nd of last year. And in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Like I had, I had made a, pre a pretty long sketch that I put on YouTube once prior to that. So I was like playing around with the idea of like doing longer sketches and that's kind of what I wanted to do. But I was like, oh, let me just play around with TikTok and see what happens and, and learn. So spent a lot of time just watching a lot of other stuff, making random content, right? Like just like doing whatever. Right, with no direction <laughs> I felt or like anything doing. like that. Yeah, no, no direction, no direction at all. Like not at all. And then I started to find some of the, uh, let's, let's call them, uh, what they call themselves are TikTok gurus, or social media gurus. Okay. Um, watching some of their videos on, on YouTube, like, okay, how can I grow? And really the gist of it is that find the most high performing video on your account and keep doing that over and over again. So then eventually I started to look at my analytics. At first I wasn't, I was just like, oh, how come it's like not, like nobody's watching it. I was like, okay, but I'm still having fun, whatever. I'll just keep going. And then eventually I started taking more of an analytical approach. And there was three different concepts that had worked well. And then the one concept that I had, you know, and I recreated those concepts again. Um, and then there was one that just took off and I was like, oh, okay, this is the clear winner. And that is the preacher reacting to pop culture songs. Oh yeah, and I've definitely it seen It just those. took on a life of its own. Yeah, man, it's still going to life of its own. I did, I think I did like 500 of those reactions. Like Wait, you said, you said 500? Over 500. Ooh. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And okay. it took on a life of its own. And, and, and when I say that, like it really did. So I had one that performed pretty well. And the first song that I did was actually, oh my gosh, why am I blanking out? Oh man. It's all right. I'm blanking out so hard, man. I'm blanking out hard, but it was a Drake song. And then he was like, I need some Jesus in my life. Amen. I can't believe I can't think of the song. That's a that's a good song to but, lead uh, off lead off with, especially if you're going with a preacher kind of theme. Yeah. Yeah. And like and to be honest, I wasn't even trying to turn it into its own thing. Like like when I did that, I was listening to the music because ah, okay, now I know how I got the idea. 
So I, was, I would just listen to songs and then figure out how I could either lip sync or I don't yeah, how to lip sync to it or do something and react to it and make it kind of funny based on the you know words of the song. And then this one came on and I was like, oh, what if I just reacted to it like a preacher? Okay, cool, I'm gonna do that. And I did that real quick. Didn't think much of it, right? And so then I started seeing the numbers just going crazy. And then that's when I went all the way in and then people started to come all the way in as well. And the comments were like, hey, do this song, do this song next, do this song. Like, then I put together a playlist and I think that playlist is like over a thousand songs or something crazy like that. Um, yeah, it, it, it just literally took on a life of its own. But, but here's the big but. I knew that if I were to continue to grow and express myself as a creator, I needed to venture away from that because it's a very narrow scope, right? It's like me playing a specific character who's doing this one specific thing. Like, yeah, I get people love it. I get that a lot of my supporters have come through that, but I need to show them more. I need to show myself more because as a creator, it wasn't fulfilling me. Like after a while, it wasn't fulfilling me the same way that it, that like the sketches do, right? Cause that, that right. challenges me to think outside the box with the sketches. Like I really have to go places and figure shit out, right? So I knew I had to eventually rebrand. And so that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm rebranding, but uh, to back up a little bit, it, it, was, it was crazy the growth that I experienced. I think from 2021, up until like, I would say two months in, I definitely had like maybe a couple hundred mm -hmm. followers on TikTok. And then it was like by, I don't know, by fall or late summer, it was like over 400K or something crazy like that. Dang. It, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, that's, um, that's a pretty I cool had, growth story, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. It's, I mean. It, it was just insane, <laughs> like seeing it all happen. But once I got to that point where I realized I had hit a wall, um, and this was, I was already re, like shifting the brand and, and whatever you, whatever you want to call it, or shifting the content strategy to be more about skits and sketches. I noticed I was hitting the wall, but I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like at the end of the day, I had to just tell myself like the numbers are just the numbers, but if I'm putting out quality every single time, right? Like. I'm going all the way in building these fun, clever skits and sketches. One of them will take off. And then that person, all the people who are coming in through that specific viral video can then go look at the catalog, right? So that's really what you're always doing with social media. If, if that's something that people are trying to pursue, you want to build a catalog of the thing or the topic or whatever it is you want to be known for. So that when you have that moment, because you never know when that moment is going to be, that people have more to consume, right? They go to your account and they're like, oh, wow, this person has all this stuff. And then they stay on it and then they become somebody who's a fan of you or, or a supporter, you know, whatever you want to call them, right? So I think that is one of the most important things I could impart to other people who are trying to get into the social media space. But uh, yeah, my journey has been, it's been crazy, but it's been a good journey. Um, yeah. Got it. Talk to me a little bit about sponsorships. I know you mentioned it earlier. Like now that you have uh, you know, a pretty big following, like talk to me about how 
you know, what it was like to receive your first sponsorship, to perceive like the emotions that were involved when you were negotiating from receiving your first check uh, or, you know, money from the sponsorship, like walk me through that experience. Cause I'm imagining that that's probably a magical experience. Just knowing that like, Oh, maybe there's a feeling of I've, I've kind of made it a little bit. Right. Like, or it's just like, yeah. <laughs> this is not necessarily just a hobby anymore. It's like a side gig, like, and it's something yeah. that, you know, is becoming more realistic as maybe something that you want to pivot to or spend more of your time, more, more of your time on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let me think. So when I got my first sponsorship, it was in the fall of last year. And I think I applied to it. Yeah, I think I applied to it. And when I got it, pretty much I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I got a sponsorship. Like it, it was just one of those moments where it just didn't even, it didn't feel real. Right. And, and it was after I had started to do the rebranding process um, where I was showing more of what I can do because I knew I was like, this is too narrow of a scope. And I have to I have to actually go to what I probably was trying to do even before I got on TikTok, um, which was make funny sketches. Right. Like and get better at that. I knew I had to get to that. And it paid off pretty immediately, I guess you could say, like okay. like based on the timing of that sponsorship. But getting it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I just applied to it um, and I got it. And I didn't negotiate this one, but it was a pretty big game changer, right? Like when I was in the meetings and they're like, hey, you, you know, you've been selected and I'm working with the agency, uh, the influencer agency who's you know working with the client. Yeah. And the client was ShareCare. ShareCare was my first sponsor. Um, they're a healthcare company, and they're also the sponsors of the Atlanta Hawks. So okay. you see them on the jersey. That's the, that's the company. The company I got my first sponsorship from. Um, I was excited, and I knew I just had to put everything in it. And luckily, um, just having that corporate background, I knew exactly how to talk to, to people about certain things, speak the language of marketing, because that's, that's what, what I do from, from the nine, from my nine to five. So it really just kind of played into my benefit. I was using all these different experiences that I had to make sure that I gave them the best product. I gave them a storyboard. I gave them an official script of what I was going to do. I made sure that when they would amplify the, the, uh, I won't say creative, when they would amplify the sponsored video, right, right. that it would hopefully have a good conversion and, and like it would play well with the algorithm. So I try to make sure to put in spots to like feature share care and like the app that I was promoting. So all those things kind of came into play and it turned out to be pretty good. They like reposted me. I was like, thank you so much for being my first sponsor. I was like, I, I was just excited, man, just to have it happen. Um, and they, they brought me back again for <laughs> for a second sponsorship oh, wow. for a different campaign. So it's it's really about having your work, create more work. I, I learned that again in this with this instance of working with ShareCare. Uh, shout out to ShareCare, <laughs> by the way. So um, yeah, I mean, that first sponsorship was crazy. It, it just made things more real. It was like, oh, now I see the business side of it. This is this is now I need to create a revenue pillar of 
my content creation. Like that is a thing, right? And I can angle content towards it. Or, you know, if you want to, you can go into a certain niche to go after certain uh, types of companies and industries. So it, it just kind of opened up my mind to how to think about my content. What was your audience reaction to your first sponsorship? Were they like, oh my God, Conrad's getting sponsored. We're so happy for him, right? Because I've I seen that in YouTube videos, right, like as well for smaller yeah. content creators, where they're just like, they're happy to see an ad, like, you know, sponsored, today's video is sponsored by whoever, right? Just because they know it's like, oh, like you're actually earning money and revenue and that our, our views yeah. are actually supporting like our content creator that we want, you know, that person to be bigger and more well-known, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So like the reaction to everybody who was supporting me at the time was pretty positive. I didn't have any, you know, I'm very thankful for that. I didn't have any, any like negative backlash from creating a sponsor video. And like, I, I, tr I really tried to make it a skit, right? Like a skit that I would create and put my own creativity into it. So I think people appreciated that. Right. And then the flip side to that is when people feel like you're pushing something or you're peddling something to them that doesn't feel organic to the way that you normally make your content. I think that's the problem that a lot of people may fall into with sponsorships, but for, for this first one, everybody was excited. Um, and I even posted it on Instagram as well, because I just want everybody to know. I was like, right. look, <laughs> this thing happened. Yeah, I've seen sponsored, like one of the more interesting and I think clever ways of introducing sponsorships into a video, because you mentioned how like sometimes your audience may feel like you're kind of just shoving a sponsorship uh, into the video is that right. there's usually what I call a connecting line where it's like, you're talking about something, you know, maybe it's part of your skit or whatever you're kind of known for. And then you tie that back in to the sponsor. Uh, and so it's sponsorship messaging and it makes it more fun for the audience. It's just yep. like, they can comment of like, Ah, uh, that was a very clever way of like, you know, roping us into the sponsorship message. Like they understand that you have to do it. But I think as a creator, there's probably there's it's beneficial, I think, for creators to route rope it in very creatively or tie it in back to your content uh, so that it seems much more native. Yeah, it's a good exercise. And like at the end of the day, it's it's an advertisement, right? Like that, that's that's what it is. So I kind of put on that hat as well from everything I do with marketing to start thinking about it that way. It's okay, the client is the company that's sponsoring you. Make sure that they're good with what you're doing, but then you have to juggle also your supporters, right? And make sure they're also good with it. So if you're able to find that good balance, you should be okay. So that's typically what I try to strive for whenever I'm, I'm doing a sponsored video. I really try to bring that into it. One of the things when you were talking about, you know, an agency reach, I wouldn't say reaching out, but more just like the agency has selected you. Like I'm just thinking yep. from a marketing perspective, someone must have just collected all of the, you know, the TikTok or, you know, the people that apply, they look at like your TikTok accounts, they look at your reach, they probably just went through all of them and like it, literally all your information is probably on a spreadsheet and it's just like this is how much reach he has right or you know this is you know how much i don't know like we're willing to to pay or something like that i'm just seeing a spreadsheet of names 
and numbers in my mind as they're making the selection process. That's just like the one comment that I just wanted to make. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, there's this, there has to be that that goes on. And you can also submit yourself to be a part of these, I guess you say that oh, part, partner right? like you or partner programs or whatever. Right, or whatever it may be. So that's kind of the way you go about it. But then eventually when you get to a certain level, I, I don't want to throw like a number on it because it's different for each niche, different for whatever type of content you're making, right? Like, et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of hard for somebody not to find you because it goes back to that point. You don't know who's watching right? <laughs> when your content blows up or you have a couple of viral moments. So by that happening, you're going to, you might get put into somebody's radar and they're like, oh yeah, we're reaching out to him for this opportunity that's happening six months from now. Right. So it's like, you just kind of have to kind of have to keep doing the work and the work is to keep making good content and to try to level it up consistently. Right. Because it all starts off with that. You can come up with all the different strategies to try to get into the, uh, get into like the space with all the agencies and stuff like that. But if you're not focusing on the content, why would they pay you right. as a creator? That's your lifeblood. Like it, it, it just, it just, yeah, that's your lifeblood. You have to remember that like at the end of the day, your product is the content. Right. Makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Like <clears throat> when it happens, it happens. But um, I would say probably one of the, one of the craziest experiences was probably the Hulu. Okay. The Hulu sponsorship. Talk, that, talk to us that about one, that. I was like, man. So this uh, this agency had reached out to me via email, um, and was like, "Hey, <laughs> here's a here's a Hulu sponsorship. Um, you know, send us. You know, let us know if this is something you would want to do that we think you'd be a great fit." And I was like, "Yeah, something I want to do is Hulu." <laughs> like, like, That's like a huge that, resume question. Because it's just like the name brand. It's like I've done a sponsorship for Hulu, so that probably would unlock more opportunities. Like if you were able to get it. Exactly, exactly. And so obviously I did it. Um, they and what happens is they will reach out to you. They reach out to a certain group of uh, content creators who fit the criteria, certain reach, yada yada yada. They do the database thing, and then they go back to the client and say, "Here's the list. Right? Who do you want?" Right. And so then you get selected. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? Not, not your problem. You can't, you can't change that. Yeah. Uh, you just have to just focus on what you're doing. And so when they got back to me, then it was go time. Right. I was like, all right, it's time to make the best piece of content I can, I can make for this campaign. And it was to promote the last season of pen 15. Okay. So, uh, so I did that, put it together and then I got one round of feedback. And I was stressing out <laughs> because I actually wasn't at home when I got this feedback. So I had to figure out a way to like, at, like do what they wanted me to do, but also like, find, like I didn't have all my equipment. Right. Find a similar location and produce the same result. Yeah, man. I, I was stressing. I was stressing. I'm not going to lie. I was definitely stressing, but figured it out, thankfully. Um, and then it was done. And it was crazy because I was putting all this pressure on this feedback and I forgot my own lesson that at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're working to make sure everybody is good, the client sponsor, and then also your audience. And I just had to keep that in the back of my mind. And I feel like I came up with a pretty good piece of content to help promote the show. And then 
the cherry on top was the fact that they invited us to the screening event nice. for Pin 15. So like the lead actors are there. Uh, everybody's there. There's executives from Hulu that are there, um, which was like my first, I guess you say real Hollywood experience, <laughs> like being, being at a Hulu event. And it was nice as hell. <laughs> like, it was really nice. Um, and I just had fun. You know, I just, I just soaked it up. I went by myself and I was nervous. <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. I, was I really can imagine. Nervous. Yeah. It's a good networking yeah, opportunity was, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely was, but I didn't even like speak to a lot of people because I was just so in my head. Like <laughs> I just I didn't until the end of the night. And um shout out to the bartender who was there. I'm not gonna name their name, but um was just talking to that person, getting to know them. Um, and then they kind of helped encourage me to talk to these other people who are also content creators. So we networked together and just kind of talked and got to know each other so that was pretty cool it was it was just a nice event overall but um it was a wild experience it definitely i guess you could say added more to my prestige okay as a content creator right let's call it that let's call, call it cloud. cloud um yeah and oh one of the things i did from a business point to get ready for all sponsorships even before i even got asked to do one was I created a media kit. So I would say that's the one thing you can do to be prepared. So it's really so just a two-pager. That's your marketing background, yeah, taking just, in with the media kit. Just be ready. Yeah. Just be ready, right? And so I created it in Canva. It had my picture. It had some of my analytics. Talked about some highlights. And then I had a row that had a, had all the logos of major repostings, right? So BET was on there right. and ShareCare and all that stuff like that. So that if somebody asks me, oh, like, what have you done? Boom, here's the media kit. It's all in there, right. right? So I think you just need to be prepared for that opportunity because it will happen eventually, especially if you make niche content. And say you get to 10,000 followers, but you make stuff about finance. I guarantee you one of the big financial apps, Truebill or somebody is going to reach out to you at some point for a sponsorship. Just be ready. Like, don't, don't wait until they reach out and then now you're scrambling to make the media kit. Right. Make it over time. Give yourself a month. Edit it. Make it look good. Ask people to look at it. Get feedback. Continue to make it better. So that was the one thing I did even before all that stuff happened. Got it. I guess what advice would you give to people who are thinking about being a content creator? And then what commitments should they be prepared for? Because, <laughs> you know, people just think like, oh, oh I could just man. be a... You know, I heard that like there was some statistic like for for Gen Z, right? Like they want to all aspire to be content creators. Like that's like it's, I think it's a top thing. ten top ten job. Yeah, it's a top some, ten job or something for, like for that, yeah. right? And so I think people don't understand what is the dedication and commitment that's needed. And so what are those? I'm just curious from as a content creator that's gone from zero to 700k over 700k yeah. in terms of following what were those commitments that you had to kind of accept as the process? Yeah, I would say just to have an understanding with yourself that you need to be consistent, right? And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to have the discipline to say, hey, I'm going to create a video a day or whatever your cadence is, right? A video a week, and I'm going to make YouTube videos, then don't do it, right? Because you're not going to get 
I'm not saying you're not. There's a low chance of you getting the results that you hope you're going to get. And then set milestones for yourself, right? Don't say like, oh, my goal is to, I'm trying to get the 4 million followers by X date and then not do the stuff or the research to figure out like, have other people done that that quickly? How do they do it, right? Like really take your time to research um, and figure out like what you want to do with this social media content, right? Like, is this a way for you to express yourself? Is this a way for you to promote your business? Or is this a way for you to spread awareness about something you're really passionate about? So I think the biggest thing I would say is really two things. First, be very, very clear with yourself about the commitment that you're willing to put in. If you're ready to do one a day, all right, go ahead and do it, right? But if you're not trying to do it at a consistent level and crank out a lot, then don't do it. And then the second thing is have a clear vision of what it is you want to do and focus on that. Check the numbers and see what is working the best for you. But unless you want that to be the thing you're known for and, and becomes a part of your brand, don't do it, right? Stay true to what the type of content you want to make and don't copy other people. <laughs> like, like I think there's an oversaturation of copied, stolen ideas, right? Just like make original stuff, have fun with that, be, be you, right? And like people will be drawn to that because there's so many other people copying content, <laughs> right? So I think that's also part of it as well. So just have fun with it. Be ready to make that commitment to be putting in a lot of work, a lot of time. But if you're not ready to do that, that's step one, then don't, don't do it. It's not for you. And that's okay. Like it's, it's Good not, advice. it's not for everyone. It really isn't because it takes a lot of time. You're going to spend hours learning different platforms. You're going to spend hours making content. And that means you might not have as much leisure time. Maybe you're not going out to brunch <laughs> like every Saturday anymore, right? Like you're, you're at home, right? Batch creating content, and then you're editing at the on Sunday. It, it just is what it is. I was going to ask, guys, kind of as a follow up question, like you know, you have your day job, plus you have the content creator gig, and you were saying that even for then, like it's a commitment, and now you have two commitments: your day job and your uh, content creator life. So how do you manage your time between both? Uh, and as also just like having a life outside of that, right? Cause you know, you need, you can't yeah. just be doing both all the time, right? Like there needs to also be that period where, you know, you, like your teacher said, having those life experiences are also very important for, you know, new ideas from a content creator and just living perspective. Yeah, so I try to find harmony and not necessarily balance, right? Because I know sometimes I might be going all in on an acting project because I'm getting ready for that. I'm memorizing lines. I'm building the character. And content has to take a backseat, right? Like it just is what it is. I can't. Sometimes I just there's just like not physically enough time in the day to do everything that I need to do in my personal life plus the acting plus the content or whatever else. So I just try to look for the harmony now. I think before when I was gaining that followership and that base, I just like 
I, I did not have a balance at all. I wouldn't even call it harmony. I was going all in, right? Like there were some days where I was doing, I think like a week straight or two weeks straight, I was doing six videos per day that I was putting out. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So <laughs> I would not recommend that. But unless you have ample amount of time and this is all you're doing, maybe, sure, go ahead and do it. But I wouldn't recommend it. But so the key to finding that harmony between all these different areas in my life is to look at that priority of whatever that needs to be done, right? So I'm kind of playing triage to go, okay, this needs to happen now and tend to it and just do that thing and be okay with certain things taking the back seat because I can't do everything at once. So I feel like once I accepted that and then on top of it as a content creator, being okay with losing followers because you're not being as consistent as you were at a certain period, just be okay with that. Because at the end of the day, if you're putting out quality content, you get, you have a viral moment, more people will come in or those same people who left you will come back. So it's really just realizing that everything's okay. <laughs> like, like you're good. Like just go focus on the things you have to focus on and that will help you get that harmony that you're looking for. So what you were saying kind of reminds me of someone who I just interviewed, who's a comic artist and, you know, he's writing and drawing, uh, for, well, I know he draws on his own time, but like from, he writes a lot of the, the text and copy for comics. And he was saying how in order to produce kind of the creative result that you're looking for, like you need to have a structure, like something that's actually not creative, mm -hmm. right? Like kind of to almost like producer-esque, right? To get you through the the periods in time where maybe you're not as creative, that helps you stay disciplined without using the willpower to stay disciplined. And so that when you were mentioning like, you know, triaging and thinking about trade-offs and stuff like that, it kind of brought me to that sort of realization that there is a balance between, and I think there's this common misconception of creatives just being like, super pie in the sky, right? Like, you know, creatives <laughs> just come out of nowhere. Ideas just come out of nowhere, but actually there's an underlying structure. You can call it like roots, right? Like if the creatives are the trees, yeah. the ideas are like the fruit that you bear. There's all the work, the underground stuff, the things that are behind the background that's providing the stability and structure for those creative ideas to bear fruit or, you know, to, to grow and, and be a parent. Yeah, I, I mean, I would completely agree with that as well, because everybody has their own process to how they do it. But for me, I think a good way that I try to remain as consistent as possible is batch creating content, right? And that's not a, that's not like a, any profound idea, but what it helps me do is say, okay, look, I've got the month of, let's call it, let's say you've got a month where there's a holiday in it. There's also, um, a work event or whatever it is, right? You've got a, a birthday party to celebrate with friends. Okay, boom, that's three weekends. Like you, you, you should go live life, right? Like don't tell yourself, oh, I can't do those things because I've got content. Let me go ahead and just do that content on the weekend. You're missing out on life, right? And making those memories. Just batch create the content. Take a sacrifice a weekend to just only do that so that you can go enjoy life, right? So that's where kind of like the harmony comes into effect for me as like an individual and looking at all the different buckets in my life where 
I'll bash create content. Okay, great. I'm make five, like, well, that's a little extreme. I'll make three skits today, right? And I'm going to put one out each week. They're all going to be quality. I'll, I'll write these scripts for them, edit them during the weeks leading up to it for the past two weeks. Got it. So I think that's a way to do that. Just kind of, you just kind of plan ahead, right? I know it sounds like cheesy and it's not as fun. No, I mean, it's important. And it's probably right? not as. It's important yeah. because you got to balance out the creative endeavors, right? Versus, you know, a schedule or a structure that keeps you on pace, right? That keeps you safe. Exactly. Right. Because your willpower exactly. can only go so far. Yeah. And you'll get to a point where you can burn yourself out, right? Like you're not, if you're only doing content, like that's it, or you're only doing this one thing, I guarantee you at some point it's going to be like, ah, I can't go any further. I need a break. Right. Why why not build in those breaks? All right. I wanted to sort of take a more kind of relaxed view, kind of step away, uh, or I guess like expand our worldview uh, a little bit more and talk about uh, something that I know that you really care about, which is traveling. And I know that from my time knowing you that you really love African culture, right? Uh, having traveled to Africa and I know you talk about it very fondly. So I want to kind of get your take on, you know, how traveling to Africa has really helped your sort of worldview and your life experiences. Yeah, definitely. I mean, traveling. Yeah. So yeah, we'll start off with Africa first. So when I went to South Africa and Cape Town specifically, it was probably one of the most impactful things I've done in my life in terms of new experiences because you know, I was going back to the motherland, right? Like touching down on that ground, seeing people who look like me, hearing them speak their languages, and then in a weird way feeling like it was familiar. Right, like not, I couldn't really put a, can't, couldn't really like put a finger on it. Like I don't, obviously, I don't know the the languages, the language, but right. it just felt familiar. Right, it felt easier to learn some of the words and 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 grasp it. Right, and then grasp the culture. So it was like a certain familiarity there, and I was like, wow, this is weird. I mean, it's, it's it, it just felt good. So I think that was one of the first things that I experienced going to Africa, um, and then. All the things, I would say the biggest, one of the biggest things I, I learned in my time in Cape Town is that, you know, many parts of the world are, you know, experiencing similar things that, that we have gone through in the U.S., right? Right. With like Jim Crow and all the issues associated with that, going back to slavery, and then in Cape Town dealing with apartheid. But for them, it was a lot like, it's not that far away, right? I mean, either is Jim Crow and slavery is not that far away, but for them, it's really not that far away, like apartheid ending and still seeing the effects of it and seeing both countries dealing with it at the same time, but at different phases of it was just like, wow, to see the similarities, right? Right, And, and just see how eerily close some of the experience were um, between me and other uh, African people as well. So I think that was just, it was a, it was a interesting moment to like have that dialogue, have that, uh, that connection with them and talk about all these really difficult topics mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And just makes you more empathetic, makes you 
feel as if, you know, this is a, a high level connection with people in general. So I think that was just like a huge part of it. But then overall, just to go somewhere new and experience something completely different that what you're used to, which forces you to be in the moment. Like you, you, like when you're on vacation, it just feels vacation or traveling. You just have to be hyper aware of everything. You remember how the food tastes, right. you remember the people that were there just because you're just, everything is so new that you have to pay attention. It's different from like the day-to-day -day hustle and grind yeah. of being back in the States. So I think that's one thing that it's just beautiful to experience if, if people have you know the resources to travel um, outside of the U.S. But even if you don't and, and you have resources to travel within the U.S., you can still get that same feeling going to different places you've never been before at all. So travel has just been a, it's just been a big part of my life ever since uh, college, really after college, just kept going a lot of different places in the world. And I mean, I, I don't plan to stop at all. I would say when you talked about higher level connection, one of the things that came into my mind was I would imagine that, you know, you don't know anything about the other people that you're talking to, right? Like maybe there's like very few commonalities, like from a cultural perspective or maybe not cultural, perspective, right. from like a pop culture perspective, like, you know, you can't just, I don't know, maybe you could bring up Drake, right? And maybe they'll understand, right? And maybe that's something you could talk about, but when you're kind of in an area or a new culture that's very different, what I think it comes down to is how you guys relate at a human level. Like there's things that you, I mean, as humans, we feel the same things, regardless of where, you know, right. what culture you come from, wherever you are in the world, you know, you feel sadness and fear and happiness and all range of his emotions. And I think it sounds like that was something that you were able to share. And I think by having not as many, I guess, surface level topics, right, to, uh, to <laughs> yeah. really relate to, right? I guess that's probably the right way to say it. And having more deeper humanistic uh, relationships, like it, I would imagine that emo there's like an emotional strength or an emotional tie that's like way stronger. And I would imagine that's probably one of the reasons why you, you do remember, you know, those events and the connections that you built and those, those talks uh, in addition to just being in a new environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Um, yeah, you, you, we kind of, based on like the program that I did when I went to South Africa, it was a student program, a student study abroad program. And then I went back again as a teaching assistant. Yeah, you, you kind of cut through those surface level conversations pretty quickly, right? Like, and you start to get to know all these people on a deep level, right? like quick. So, and that typically doesn't happen in the States, right? right. Like it's, it's just, it's such a different experience. And um, yeah, it, it just doesn't happen that way. So it forces you to, to just be more open, forces, forces you to just connect, like you said, on that human level. But then um, I would say kind of going back to travel and like how that impacts um, me as a person. And then also like the endeavors that I'm doing, it's, a, it's another reminder to just be present. It's always another reminder to be present because, you know, you can do that when you go on a trip because it forces you to. You're in a new environment, you're a human, you have to look around, you've got to figure things out. You're trying to take in all this information, but you can let that apply to your life as well. Like be in the present moment with people when you're at dinner, put your phone away, right? Like just really connect with them. When you walk out, really experience 
what it's like to walk down your street, your block or whatever it may be, and just be present. And then when it comes to acting, that's <laughs> that's a big part of it. Right. Being present with your cast members, right? If, I, if I'm already thinking about the future, thinking about the next line, I'm gone. I'm out of the scene. I can't be a good scene partner to the other people. So I have to be present. So I think that's kind of one, like one big takeaway from traveling is that like, it's just, it's always going to teach you to be present or at least that's what it's done for me. And like, I highly encourage everybody, you know, if, if they have the means to, to go, go do that if you can. Where do you want to travel to next? Like what's on your uh, travel right. list? Like more, I guess of like immediately, like, okay, let's say for example, if you were to pick, let's just say like five countries that you would want to travel to sometime, you know, in the next year or so, let's say next year, like, where would you want to go? Like what's on the top of your list? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have like countries specifically, but I haven't been to, um, I haven't done a lot of Latin America. I would love to, to go travel to some countries there. Um, I would say that's probably at the top of my list. Okay. So in the next couple of years, that, that has to get done. What is it about Latin America that really piques your interest? Oh, man. I mean, the culture, the food, the geography of, of like all the different countries that are there. Um, yeah, I would say those are probably the, the biggest things. But also, I've been to, to Africa. I've been to Europe. I've been to Southeast Asia. So it would be nice to see like what... How, how, how's that experience different? But then, yeah, also similar to all the other experiences I've had. Got it. And I guess, have you solo traveled before? No, no. It's something that I definitely want to do because I know that's, <laughs> that's a whole different experience. Like you have nobody else to lean on besides yourself. But then also at the same time, you can just do your own thing, right? right. It's like you're not on anybody's schedule except for you. So I think it would be cool to do that and uh, force myself to get kind of, I guess, like out of my comfort zone a little bit. Like yeah. I, I consider myself an extrovert, but that's, I mean, when you're out by yourself, like you really have to do everything on your own. So yeah, I think it would be fun. Yeah. So before I had met my current girlfriend, like I actually would go on vacations to solo travel actually a lot. Like I knew people in the area, not like I stayed over with them, but like right. that was a nice break to be able to like, like have lunch or catch up. But for most of the time I actually did just travel or I would stay in hostels. Uh, and the thing about traveling alone is that, and especially if you stay in a hostel, it actually forces that becomes like your social interaction, right? Like the hardest wow. thing is being is traveling and just doing everything by yourself. Right. And eventually, like when you're traveling, let's say you're hiking or you're doing different activities with other tourists. Right. That's actually a really great time to and you'll know who the tourists are just by the way they dress or, you know, maybe they're speaking English or whatever. Um, that's the best way to, you know, to go up and talk to people saying where you're from. Right. Like, what else are you guys doing? Right. Like, mind if I join. Right. I travel by myself. Right. More often than not when you're traveling as a tourist and you see other tourists, they're more than likely to travel with you, to have other companions and stuff like that. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So then you kind of find that camaraderie between the shared experience and then you can find like a, like a group essentially. To yeah. Like do things with and 
yeah if obviously if they're if they're open to it right like if you seem like you know chill guy maybe someone's on a honeymoon okay it's like yeah you want to spend time uh they want to spend time by themselves (laughs) or you know as a couple uh but there are you know a decent amount of solo travelers and you know they're also looking for social connections like as well and obviously they're going to do the same stuff that you're going to do it's like if you want to see the tourist stuff like they're going to want to see the same kind of tourist stuff too so uh you end up kind of just finding a group right or another person you know oftentimes because you're doing visiting more touristy stuff yeah i mean it's, it's definitely on my list of things to do the solo travel at least at least once because i feel like it just teaches you a lot about yourself like you, yeah. you've got you've got to build in a lot more self-reliance <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> like it, it can be just, a great logis- time logistically it can be a great time to also be very introspective and think, right? Yeah. You, know, you have time to yourself. Like you are at your own pace and your own schedule. You know, if you want to stay an extra hour, right, doing something, you have more than enough time, you know, to do it. Uh, and that is something that is really nice. Like you are very aware of your surroundings, especially if you're by yourself. Like when you're in a group, it's kind of like you're just worried about staying with the group, right? You're not paying attention to, you're not allowed to wander too much. And I think that's one of the joys of traveling by yourself, not only just physically wandering, but also like mentally wandering as well. Like it's a different type Mm. of uh, experience that you're taking in because you can pay attention and look around at different things. You can, you don't have to feel rushed to, if you want to look at a mural or something like that for more than five minutes and, and think about it more, there's a lot more that goes through your mind versus uh, maybe if you're on a scheduled itinerary and you have to go like immediately from one place to another by a specific time. So time no, is becomes that, that totally makes sense to me. Time becomes relative, generally speaking. Yeah, so it's kind of like you create that time, you have that space to let your mind wander. Like yeah. you said, just like let it let it wander and just be okay with that. Because you don't have anybody else to, to worry about in a sense. <laughs> Got it. I kind of want to wrap things up, you know, a little bit. Uh, Question I have for you is like, do you have any advice for young people? Just generally speaking, it doesn't have to be acting, right? Like people who, you know, are becoming, maybe graduating from college, entering the workforce or, you know, becoming adults or trying to find the things that, you know, that they're passionate about. Like what advice do you have for them? I would say one of the pieces I've, advice I have for young people who are just or entering the workforce or starting out anything is don't worry about having it all figured out because at the end of the day, even people who it may seem as if they have it figured out really don't. Right. And like, you can find some comfort in that. And I know it's hard to accept that and see that in the beginning, but the more experience you get, you'll see that that's pretty true. And that a lot of people are just trying to figure it out on the fly. So it is okay if you don't understand like how everything is exactly going to connect throughout like your journey in life, with work, everything else that's going on with you. But just know that eventually it will make sense, right? And you'll find something or you'll see connections in between like, oh, this helped me lead to this, which then helped me lead to this. And now I'm here but just let that take time and don't worry about instant gratification. Like <laughs> I know we have a lot of access to it, but right. th- throw that away if you can, if, uh, as it applies to your life. Like 
allow things to kind of unfold. Cool. Uh, what would you say are your top five music artists? Oh, oh man. Top five. Man. Uh, I love and I hate this question <laughs> because I feel like everybody's like, oh, what is he going to say? But it's but, very um, unique to you and your perspective and like why you think. Yeah, yeah, are. yeah. How about this? I'll go with top five that I've been listening to lately. Okay. I'll spin the question. So I would say definitely been listening to Drake. Uh, more of his older stuff, though. Okay. Um, Van Jess, who does like R&B and Soul. Um, who else have I been listening to? I've been listening to Juice World a lot lately, too. Okay. Um, two more artists. <sighs> who else have I been listening to? Let's let's go with let's just go with those three for right now. I'll give you three that I've been listening to a lot lately. Okay. What do you what do you like about those artists? Like what makes you want to continue to listen to them? I mean, Drake, I've just been a fan since <laughs> like pretty much since the beginning. So it's nice to go back and listen to older songs and see where I was at in my life at that point and then see if I can like draw anything else from it at this point right now. So I think it's just kind of fun to listen to older Drake songs. Um, Van Jess just puts you in a very, I don't know, you feel you feel just like at peace listening okay. to their music. It's very smooth. It's very relaxing. But it still has like a nice beat to it as well. They make like, you know, R&B and soul. And they infuse it with a lot of like 90s and 80s influence and there's jazz elements to it as well. So it's just like, Sounds very, soul. Sounds just very soulful. Like basically yeah, bridging, yeah. bridging, it's, it's bridging very musical relaxing. generations. Okay. Yeah. And then Juice World, man, it's just, uh, I, I liked them from the beginning. Like at least when I first got introduced to them and I felt like I was one of the few, I feel like I was one of the few millennials in our age range that was listening to Juice World before he really blew up. Um, and I just thought he was different. I was like, this person's got something, like he's gonna blow up. Like I, I knew it, I knew it ever since I heard all girls are the same. So it's just nice to revisit the music. Um, okay. It just has good flow. He's just so talented. So it's kind of like, you're listening to somebody who has like immense talent and, and you're just kind of appreciating it. So I think it's nice to just re-listen to his music. Okay. Uh, if there was a TV show that you could make your debut on, right? Let's say it's an existing TV Ooh. show. What TV show would you want to debut on? Let's say it's an existing, so it's an existing one. And what character would you want to debut as? Mm. Man, I haven't even thought about that, if I'm being quite honest. But... Let's just say, since, since I don't have one that I can think about right now, it would just be a character that allows me to truly show off who I am, right? Like to, to bring a, a piece of me to that role so that everybody can just enjoy it, who's viewing it, right? So I think it would be something like that. I don't know exactly what the character would be, but something that allows me to show off my my charm a little bit, be a little funny, you know, maybe a little bit of drama in it, you know, some, something like that. It just kind of shows different 
That almost sounds like you want to. That almost sounds like you would be a great candidate for a sitcom because literally it has all of that yeah. drama, charm, and comedy. Uh, last question being, who are your top five actors that you find inspiration from? Oh, top five. Well, I'm, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with two that that really that really inspired me just because I've seen a lot of like things. Eh, I'll go with three. Um, Viola Davis, Samuel Jackson, and Denzel Washington. I've just like watched a lot of like clips from their different interviews and just really appreciate what they have to say. Um, and kind of similar to what I just said earlier about like advice I would give to young people or even to my younger self, Viola Davis said it as well as it pertains to acting where it's like, just learn something from each project and keep going, keep going because you really don't know how it's all gonna connect, right? The characters that you did two, three years ago, setting you up for that big role 10, 15 years from now. Um, and just know that you're continuing to, to move on and develop your craft, right? And, and keep going back to that. Keep going back to the craft instead of just worrying about all the, all the extra stuff. So I will say it's them three. And then Samuel Jackson, I learned a lot of things from his process because he has the masterclass out. So it's it's truly a masterclass, right? Like you're listening to everything he's saying and I'm just like writing notes. And I tried a lot of the stuff out and it definitely works. And Denzel is Denzel. I mean, we all, we all know that he's the man. So just listening to his inspirational speeches and, and things that he has to say, just, I don't know, just kind of helps you and like keeps you on track. Got it. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Conrad, and all the wisdom yeah, that you have uh, imparted on us. Uh, but yeah, just I'm happy to have you here. I feel like I've learned a lot about the acting process, uh, but I've also noticed similarities to the people that I've also interviewed that are also creatives and the things that you've also said as well. It's just like there becomes just more of a common thread of you know success and the creative process and things like that. Uh, so I just want to thank you for your time. Hey, man, I just want to thank you for allowing me to come on the podcast. Like, this is my first time doing a podcast, so it was a lot of fun. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But, but yeah, we'll take care and I'll see you soon. All right, man. Take care.